Welcome to episode 18 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and these are your selections for September 2015. This month I pulled a swap with Rich and took the driver's seat on the retro side to host one of my all-time favorites, Metal Gear Solid for the original PlayStation, which I will discuss here with my pal Floyd. On the modern side, Rich and Steven discuss the Quantic Dream cult classic Indigo Prophecy, also known as Fahrenheit, for the PS2, Xbox, and PC. Is it a game? Is it a movie? Or is it somewhere in between? Find out in the modern segment. As always, all plot and gameplay spoilers are on the table and out in the open. You have been warned. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at RFGPlaycast. You can also listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. Most importantly, don't forget to log on to RFGeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. So Floyd, I have not been this excited for a playthrough in a very long time because we ended up playing uh, one of my favorite games of all time. And and when we did Mass Effect, I told you that I wasn't sure if Mass Effect or Metal Gear Solid was my favorite game of all time. And I think I know what it is now, but let's talk about it, man. Uh we flip flopped. Actually, I flip flopped with Rich. So this is technically a retro game um, for September. So this is this was our retro playthrough on RF Generation for September. It's Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation One. Floyd, this is a game that actually you had talked about hosting, and I'm kind of curious how like th- this this game has been in the conversation for a long time, and it kind of just fell on to me kind of behind the scenes was like, hey, Sean, you can host Metal Gear Solid. And I was like, of course, yes, I will. Um, But I think back a few months ago, it was kind of your idea and you wanted to do it. So please tell me as like a newcomer, what, 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 what was attracting you to this game? Well, like you said, we've been discussing uh, that we should play this game for a long time. And Metal Gear Solid is... Uh, just like a blind spot in my um, gaming repertoire. Like uh, I know the uh, the legacy uh, these games have, and I know they're they're very special to a number of people. And I mean, I think the timing for this couldn't have been better because um, Phantom Pain just came out, and now we're playing uh, the series that uh, brought um, 
or that we're we're playing the game that brought the series and that uh, brought Hideo Kojima into like super celebrity status. So, um, basically, I just I chose this game because I really wanted to play it. It's it's um, it's, uh, whenever there's this like terrible, shameful hole in my uh, gaming repertoire, I want to go fill it, and I think this was a perfect opportunity to do so. That's one of the great things about the playthroughs and, and uh, hosting, especially because we're kind of on the hook to do it. But I've talked about it in the past, playing all these Zelda games I never would have played if it weren't for the playthroughs. So mm-hmm. I could see uh, where where you'd want to tackle that. Uh, it is one of the um, more well-known, revered franchises in, in video game history. And it is something that, you know, the community had asked for it. It's been mentioned uh, quite a few times in the suggestion thread that we have at RF Generation. And, uh, you know, the timing of it was kind of just uh, serendipity. We we plan things a lot less than people might think. It just kind of happened that, oh, we should do Metal Gear Solid in September I don't think any of us was actually thinking like, oh, we should coincide with Metal Gear Solid Five. It just kind of dawned on us. Like, no, no, that was like, yeah. Oh, that was a good choice. Just a very you know? happy coincidence that everything lined yeah. up that way. So it it was. I actually th- thought it was a cool um, experience for me. I, to be honest, Floyd, I've played this game so many times that I was thinking about not even playing it or maybe doing like a a YouTube you know catch up just Mm -hmm. to uh, because i know this game like the back of my hand right but i decided i'm going to play through it i marathoned it in two days i played the (laughs) i I beat it in eight and a half hours um and then i bought metal gear solid 5 and jumped right into that and i've put almost 120 hours into that game Wow! so i'm i'm really grateful and i wrote in the thread to everybody and and we had a a a bunch of our participants including myself either played metal gear solid one and metal gear solid five either uh you know one after the other or concurrently which was kind of cool because this you know again it's very topical it's metal gear solid is all that's in the games media, or at least it was, you know, for the past two weeks, like, you know, the beginning of the month when the mm-hmm. game came out. Um, so, yeah, w- we had a really good participation for this game. Um, and the playthrough really started off with the bang. I want to acknowledge our participants here. We had myself. We had you, Floyd. We had Schlibby, who signed up, even though he said he had already finished the game, but very recently and he was able to contribute to the conversation. So I signed him up. That was that was cool. Uh, we had Russ Lyman, Metal Fro, Retro Rage, Unforgiving Pain, uh, Bartman87, and Oat Bob. So, th- I, I mean, I think as far as playthroughs that I've hosted, I'm, I believe that's the best participation that I've ever had. So I'm really grateful for that, and I want to thank the, the community and the people who signed up. But also, we had a really good, at least at least at first, really good conversation about the game. And I want to just thank uh, everybody who contributed and shared, um, you know, their good and bad thoughts about the game. It's it's not a perfect, well, yeah, it's a perfect game. It's the best game ever made. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, But yeah, thank you, people who participated. This was a really awesome playthrough. Um, So this game... It, it, if you can't tell, like I, I'm, I'm a real 
fanboy of the series. Well, I think maybe maybe you should talk about why you're you're such a fanboy of the series. Sure, because um, I I think us two are the perfect guys to really talk about this because you've played um, the entire uh, MGS series from what I understand, and I'm a newcomer to this franchise, so it'd be nice right. to uh, to see what both of us can bring to the table here. Yeah, so I've played I've played all of the solid games from from Metal Gear Solid One through Five now, and I've played Peace Walker, which might as well be considered a, a main line title. It pretty much is. I have I have not ever played the original Metal Gear games, but I've seen playthroughs of them, and I know what the stories are. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty well versed. I mean, I. Pretty much every Sony uh, console that has come out, I've purchased it so I could play whatever Metal Gear game mm -hmm. came out on it. That includes the PlayStation 2, the PlayStation 3, and the PSP. I've bought every Sony system that I have just just to play the, the next Metal Gear Solid game. Um, and as I posted in the playthrough thread when, when I first wrote it, this was the game that... It, it was the it, it's the first like real I don't know how to put it like the first modern game that I played that had like a long saga to it because I, I never played RPGs when I was younger so when I somebody lent me this game in high school and it was in it's in that double CD case that a lot of PS1 games mm -hmm. come in that are multiple discs and I thought that was so cool and when you when I started playing it like it starts with that long cinematic and it's just like, you know, you find out later Hideo Kojima is like trying to make a game that is influenced by his love of movies. But it's like, wow, this before you even start playing, you're experiencing something that you've never experienced before. Um, and I wrote that at the time, I thought this was all just new to me, but this was something that most people had not experienced before. This mm -hmm. This game is so revolutionary at the time and groundbreaking. And I just remember having never played, again, like long RPGs or, or any kind of games that had like a, a story or something where you would save it and then come back to it and play it over a long term. This was like the first modern or like adult game that I ever played. And uh, it really was like a revolution to me. It changed me as a gamer. It was... It's so cliche to say, but it's just definitely one of those like life changing experiences. It's it kicked off the 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 franchise as we know it, and that's you know that's kind of my history. But and it's just because when I was in high school, somebody like lent it to me. Hey, you you would like this game? Check it out, and I was blown away. And it, over the years, I play it like you know. Every year, every other year, I just play through it again, uh, and it's it's incredible. It's incredible. So, <laughs> without uh, without going off the rails too much of, about just heaping my lavish praise onto it. Well, it's, um, yeah, but I mean, it's it, I think it's really well deserved. This it's it's an awesome game, um, and and yeah, every, everything you said is true. You're not. I mean, it's I think there's some maybe you can say like personal bias but everything in there like that you're saying is like true and valid like this this game is you know an essential 
uh, game in, 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 you know, the gaming history, PS1 library, whatever. Um, yeah, no, like everything that you said, you know, holds water. Right. And I'm, I'm free. I'm, I will freely admit that I'm biased towards this series. Like it's just, it's, it's one of my favorite. I think I, I am one of those people who thinks Hideo Kojima is a friggin' genius and that, you know, as a game designer, a director, he's just in, in the upper echelon of people who create video games. Mm-hmm, and for sure. he always will be. Um, now, I mean, with Metal Gear Solid 5 being so popular now, it's actually like there are tons of people coming out of the woodwork with their hate for the guy and their, for the series, which is very interesting to me. I don't take it personally. Like, I actually like hearing what people don't like about the series so it kind of makes you step back and and look at it a little bit more objectively but having said that i just you know this is this is maybe my favorite franchise of all time um so why don't we get into what what really makes this game great so you control a character named solid snake um he is actually in retirement after the events of the first two Metal Gear games. Um, and then he's the game starts where you're called out of retirement to infiltrate a base on uh, an island in the Alaskan archipelago called Shadow Moses. Um, there is a terrorist group known as Foxhound that is demanding the remains of Big Boss, who is the quote-unquote bad guy from the first two games, in return for not unleashing a nuclear weapon onto the world. And I'm really, as much as I love this series, I am the last person in the world who will say I understand it all and I can explain it all. Luckily, this game is, there are some really obtuse elements to it, but the story doesn't really go off the rails in the, in, in ways that some of the later games do. So I feel like I have a pretty good grip on what's going on in this game, but I'm not exactly an expert. So I might say something that's inaccurate. Feel free to roast me on the forums or whatever. That's fine. Um, I am not an expert. So, well, it's, that, I mean, it's that's fairly just the, straightforward, the basic right? setup there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, I think if you're, if you're going to talk about the story of this game, I think you have to provide some context to it too. Cause it, this, the game takes a lot of twists and turns. Um, so, uh, Foxhound wants the remains of Big Boss because he is an alleged or was an alleged, you know, ultimate soldier. Uh, like he had the perfect DNA to become, uh, the perfect soldier. And it's, um, Liquid Snake who really wants, uh, um, Big Boss's DNA. Because Liquid right. Snake is is the flawed um, copy of Big Boss, isn't that right? Right, and Solid Snake is the superior copy. And there's actually a, a third uh, Snake brother that you don't find out about until uh, the second game. So we don't have to worry about him yet. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we're looking at, mm-hmm. uh, and um. The story again, it, it's it's not as dense as you might remember it if you've played the game in the past. There are some long codec conversations, but most of the time it's pretty easy to just kind of 
have a, a at least a loose grip on what's going on. You, it's not like it, when you play Metal Gear Solid 2 eventually, Floyd, you'll see how crazy it is. And a lot of people will acknowledge that that one is the, the craziest of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this game, I, I feel like it's it's mostly straightforward. There's some weird stuff, but... Um, yeah, there there is some some weird stuff uh, because really, like you as a player or, or like as playing this for the first time, you don't know anybody's history. You don't know the history of uh, of the Foxhound organization, right? So they're referencing all these people, and you don't know about them. And That's true. and then you you know they'll say that this character died in um, you know whatever war and. There, like, there's so much of this game that has happened before you sort of come into the picture and you start playing it. So, I think that's where people get lost. Right. Like, and with, it, without, it throws you into the middle of a story that's already been happening for a long time. Right. And there's 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 actually a lot of stuff in Metal Gear Solid with with Frank Yeager, the the with Gray Fox, who was also the ninja, mm-hmm. that. That is actually part of the game in this game and in the saga at large that people kind of acknowledge as being one of the most neglected parts of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Jaeger Gray Fox stuff happens in the first two Metal Gear games, and there's very little of it in the sequels that come after Metal Gear Solid. So it's it's kind of curious that there's so much with the, with the Ninja and Gray Fox in metal gear solid um that references the first two games and then it's really not acknowledged that much later on so that that's kind of a weird uh kind of eccentricity to the whole thing but well i mean it's sort of like um it really is one of those things where like if if you've been playing this series from the beginning then you'll have a better grasp of of like who these people are and what's going on so it kind of is just like um like an in crowd thing you know definitely to, to a certain extent now having said that like when this game came out certainly not many a lot of people played the metal gear port on the nes a lot, you know we all know about that mm-hmm. i feel asleep you know that that, that game is a famously bad port and then we got a game called Snake's Revenge, which is actually not a port of Metal Gear 2, which only came out on the MSX computer in Japan. You can play it now. It's on all the re-release packages and everything. Again, I've never played it. I've watched playthroughs of it. I kind of know the story. So to an audience in in North America or whatever, when Metal Gear Solid came out, you know, the, the true story of Metal Gear 1 and 2 were not mainstream knowledge Mm -hmm. so we were kind of all in the dark about who is who oh the ninjas is gray fox is oh what a revelation like i don't know who the hell that is you know so yeah it's sort of just you just kind of think like why does this guy have three names you know right right um but um it's one of those things that like as you play through more of the games and now having played the entire saga um everything kind of just reverts back on itself and it's like this i don't know i think it's a it's a cool universe but we're kind of getting off topic here um the story well the story is that you um you you play as um solid snake and you have to prevent uh 
this, the launch of this nuclear weapon. Right. Right. That's it. So you, you arrive in, in uh, via a submarine kind of into this underground section of the island uh, where you have this intro sequence where you just you, you kind of get used to the controls and then this story kind of kicks off and mm-hmm. you're, um, you know, your radar system is explained. So let's get into some of the gameplay stuff. Um, one of the things that people will notice, first of all, if you're playing this game for the first time and have never played it before, is maybe that the you might find the controls to be a little bit clunky, um, a little bit hard to get used to. There's a lot of little... Um, nuance to the to the controller uh to the controls in this game like you can crouch and then you can go prone by by hitting x and you can walk and you can run and you can crawl and you can knock on the walls and you can attack enemies in different ways with certain button presses and it's the way you move snake is not quite tank controls but it's kind of similar to tank controls and that snake kind of pivots if you just turn him to the left and to the right um, and everybody knows you can get kind of stuck if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a crouch or a prone crawl and you're getting shot at, it's almost, it's really frustrating to try and stand up and move again, especially if you're kind of panicking, which is, which is a part of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. If, if you're discovered and you're getting shot at, you will panic and it's, it's even harder. <laughs> the bad controls like get compounded upon themselves by you not doing them right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that kind of leads into the fact that like this game is is designed as a stealth game. When we play games like uh, Splinter Cell and Siphon Filter and uh, SOCOM and Ghost Recon and all these other games that have stealth elements in them, they are largely being taken from Metal Gear Solid, or at least Metal Gear Solid is where a lot of the mechanics that we see in modern stealth games originated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened, that initially happened because of hardware limitations that uh, Kojima faced when he made the first Metal Gear game. He found that he could only put so many sprites on the screen, so many bullets, so he realized that he couldn't really make a shooter. So he he made a game designed around avoiding the enemies, which, you know, it's, it's funny, at the time that was a hardware limitation, but that, but that's really being this like sparked it in like a whole new genre and like, you know, style of right. game. That's cool. Absolutely. So what you have in Metal Gear Solid is a game where y- you are encouraged to not engage the enemy, to sneak past the enemies, to um, to just be a ghost basically and, mm-hmm. and not uh, have anybody see you. And it's not just sight. You make noises. You know, you leave footprints behind in certain uh, areas. You can even get a cold and start sneezing, and the guards will hear you. And you have to get cold medicine. It's it's really cool that like, and and this is where we get into like the the minutia that Kojima is is famous for mm-hmm. the the mechanics that he brings puts in a game and and i gotta just a, re- a side note here when i say kojima i mean kojima and his team i know that hideo kojima does not make metal gear solid games from the ground up by himself so <laughs> at least when i say kojima i mean you know um kojima Fox, at all <laughs> right yeah. kojima and his team and his people they're you know 
one man does not make these video games. So yeah. just, um, I just but, wanted to, uh, to say that like, in like about the controls, um, uh, cause you were about to, uh, get into probably it sounded like you were going into the inventory stuff, but, um, yeah, we can touch on that. Um, I think these controls are like, they're a product of their time, like sort of like those tank controls and having to pivot before you can move off in a certain direction, the fixed camera and all that. But it's, right. it's a, it's a product of its time, but it's also ahead of its time at this, you know, um, and it, it, it also solidifies that sort of like, um, I know cinematic is, is a word that's thrown around a lot these days, but it, and, and, and like you said, this is kind of, uh, an homage to Kojima's favorite, uh, um, movies and, and, you know, like he wanted to obviously create a cinematic experience. And with that fixed camera, you, it's kind of like you are, um, watching a movie unfold. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I would argue that the fixed cameras in Metal Gear Solid 1 were among the best of their time. A lot, you know, a lot of people, um, I'm thinking of games like Resident Evil, Silent Hill, other kind of 3D action games of, of, of the time that had fixed camera angles. Some of them are hard to work around and maybe I'm so familiar with Metal Gear Solid that I, I know where everything is. So it's, I take it a little for granted. Um, how much like what is on screen and where and my spatial awareness is maybe I have an advantage and how many times I've actually be. played the game. But I, I, I would argue that the fixed camera angles and, and the composition of the, the camera work um, is really superior here. Uh, I think, I, I think know. it could be a bit of that and, and a bit of the fact that you're so, um, you know, uh, accustomed to this game. Yeah, I mean, that's like, fair. That's fair. When, like, I, I think when I play stealth games, like if we can go back to uh, Tomb Raider and, and the stealthier parts, you can sort of crouch down and hide somewhere, rotate the camera and sort of get a lay of the land and, and sort of make a mental note of where your objective is, where your enemies are and that kind of thing. But you can't do that in Metal Gear Solid. Um that's true you know so like that in in and of itself i mean it's yes it's it's a hardware limitation it's a product of its time but that kind of does make it harder than our modern stealth games but we should note there is a first person mode that you can use but you cannot move or do anything while you're that's in right first you can only mode. like look around right um, so that will help a little, but it's really hard to use because you have to use it quick or somebody will see you just standing there. Mm -hmm. um, but that is one way to kind of get around uh, being able to see or not see, depending on the camera and mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. Because um, no, I know yeah. like, usually um, where a lot of my frustration came from was just being spotted by some guy who just happened to be just off screen. Um, and their right. cone of vision, like I would end up in their cone of vision and, and, you know, sort of once you're spotted, that's not all the time, but usually it's, it means game over. Um, cause, uh, like there will be a lot of situations where you can't, uh, retaliate if you're caught, you have to go hide somewhere. And, uh, um, oh, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, I think that's, that's where a lot of my difficulties came from. I gotta say, just you were talking about the menu system. I, I love the menu system in this game. I love the the way it 
it pauses the game for you, which is mm-hmm. kind of an ease of use thing. It's handy, and just yeah. <laughs> the, the way you use the shoulder buttons and then you can scroll through, you can basically see everything that's in your inventory at one time and scroll through and look at what you have. And I just love the like the sound effects are, are really pleasant and, and mm-hmm. they, they're satisfying when you pick something. It makes like a good clicking noise that like you just geared up, like you just chose something and it, it really yeah, no, no. I, I like that too um and yeah. i have uh sort of offensive items on um on the right trigger and uh restorative items or stealth items on the left mm-hmm. um and it's it's a, it's a super you know non-invasive menu system like even though you are pausing the game you're not like you're not pulling up another menu Right, right. It's it's more. I think it's more accurate to say the game pauses while you do it, not that you're pausing the game right. to go into a menu. Yeah, sort um, of the game stops while you're looking through your menu. It's not like you're physically pausing the game, sort of like in a in an RPG to pull up like an Excel spreadsheet, basically. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So the menus and and the menus are so good in this game that they're largely unchanged in the second game in mm-hmm. middle gear solid 2 the menus it's almost exactly the same thing so he really and by again he the the team that made this game really hit on uh something good with that menu system mm-hmm. um so yeah you're 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 encouraged to be stealthy to use your items to be kind of creative um yeah i don't know if if, do you have anything else like about the gameplay in general there's so much there's so many things and i know we're just going to kind of bounce back and forth to it but just in general it's a third person action stealth game with a fixed camera really good menu system Mm -hmm. um i guess we should talk about the radar the soliton radar is a kind of a monochromatic like vector graphic looking little square in the upper right corner of the screen which is really useful because it does show your enemy's cone of vision and it, it's it's hard to explain without seeing it but it's a lot of people know what it looks like it's very iconic um mm-hmm. you see a little dot with like literally a cone in front of it and you don't want to walk into that cone that's where the guard that's the guard's field of vision or the camera's field of vision. And if, if, if you're discovered, you go into alert mode, you hear that famous uh, sound effect, like <laughs> yeah. you'll see an excla- exclamation point above his head. And uh, then you're in alert mode. The soliton radar jams and you, you're likely going to get killed. You might want to run like hell. You might want to fight back. Um, but the whole point of the game is to avoid that and to mm-hmm, not be exactly. discovered. Because like you said earlier, if you do, you're screwed. Yeah. So that's um, the radar is, is the last big like minute to minute gameplay. Yeah. And I think when, I when, think when you're playing, you're probably going to be keeping an eye more so on that radar than um, like, I, I don't know what to call it, like the actual screen, I guess. Yeah. A lot of times that's true. If you... You know, most of the times what I would do is just like scope out what can I see on the screen first, then kind of look at the radar and okay, there's a, I know there's a camera over there and now I can see which way it's facing and it's kind of sweeping back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the same with the guards. And you, like you said, it's not perfect. You're going to run into guards from off the screen, kind of not randomly, but you won't see them until it's too late. And then, and then you're stuck. And that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people complain, well, complain, I guess is the only word I can think about it, is the trial and error kind of gameplay that you have in this, not not just this game, but actually the whole series and in stealth games in general. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing happens in a Splinter Cell game, it, especially if you're a perfectionist and sometimes you got to let go of your perfectionism to get through these games. Yeah. But you'll get discovered by a guy killed. So, you know, next time, okay, that guy's standing over there. I got to be careful when I go in that area. So you get past him. Next guy discovers you. And you just rinse and repeat until you get through the whole sequence cleanly or, you know, however you want to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I think so, that's, that's the best way to put it because in in a lot of even, you know, today's so-called stealth games, if you if you get caught, you can always just, you know, shoot your way out of a problem. Yeah. This is, um, like you said, do you really want to avoid getting seen and... and um, getting into any sort of combat. You definitely do. And I, I, you know, I actually really like the, I have, I haven't played all the Splinter Cell games, but I really like the newer ones. Uh, Splinter Cell Conviction and Splinter Cell Blacklist are two really good games. Blacklist is basically a shooter if you want to play it as a shooter. It's like a, it can be like a Gears of War shooter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people criticize it for that. I thought it was great. You can be stealthy or you can play it as a shooter. And there's a lot of that to Metal Gear Solid 5 as well. You can go in guns blazing if you want. In Metal Gear Solid 1, you really cannot go in guns blazing, like, ever. That It's it's not a good way to play the game. Like, now modern games are made to kind of um, lend themselves to different styles of gameplay but this 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 original game right here, they they wanted you to go for stealth. Mm-hmm. So and like we said, it's very unforgiving, and it can lead to some trial and error loops that are are not fun. I'll admit, like I I've been there. I, yeah. I, I Again, I know the game by heart. I know where all the guards are. I know exactly what routes to take. But I know, like to someone new to the game, it might be really frustrating. So I can I can recognize that. But that's. Uh, that's part of the challenge of the game. Well, since um, since we were just talking about uh, um, you know, the emphasis on on avoiding combat, um, this this game um is really sort of watching how you're playing, and if you uh, if you avoid combat, you know, you'll it'll be acknowledged by by other characters. Um, if you kill a lot of people, that's acknowledged too. Right. I, I've actually, I, I was going to say I've looked into it. I haven't actually looked into it, but I, I, I was actually watching a speed run of this game where they hardly killed anybody. And then certain characters still said that they killed a bunch of people. So I know that, I know that your, your play style does have an effect on the way some of the bosses and, and NPCs treat you. But it's funny how it's a, it's a little bit inconsistent, but, mm-hmm. but it's true. Um, I, I mean, maybe some stuff is scripted, but... Well, so when you do the Psychomantis boss fight, and we can actually kind of transition into the boss fights here, um, like, Psychomantis will say, like, you know, you're you're leaving a wake of dead bodies in, in your path. Like, what are you doing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or he says, like, 
you're you're very reckless. You get discovered a lot, or you save your game a ton. Like you're very careful, or some you know. Right. Yeah. It's, so, um, and th- th- there's certain things that Liquid says at the end of the game that are, again, I, it's kind of unclear to me how they change with your gameplay. But he kind of accuses you of being like bloodthirsty. Um, but yeah, the more stealth you are, uh, characters will react to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the boss fights now are, are something that the series is kind of known for. And one of the big, uh, things that people are criticizing about Metal Gear Solid 5 is that there are not like a ton of crazy boss fights. The, Crazy, the quote unquote crazy boss fights originated in Metal Gear Solid with what might be the best cast of, of bosses. Um, and again, as you play the other games, Floyd, I'd be interested to see how you like the other bosses. But in this game, we have a really good crop of boss battles. We have, uh, we start with Revolver, Revolver Ocelot. We fight Raven. Um, then we fight uh, Psycho Man, no, Sniper Wolf, then Psycho Mantis, then Raven again. There's, um, um Cyborg Ninjas in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, you got that fist fight with Ninja, which yeah. I, th- they call that a, yeah, I, that, that one's just kind of a pain in the butt, and it, I, I didn't, nah, I don't like that one. So well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's more of a, like, it's, it's more of a boss fight it. than, it's more of a boss fight than, um, the first run in with Raven. Sure, that's fair. That's fair, because, now that that brings up a good point. I was just going to say there's a trick to beating Raven, but there's a trick to beating all of them. That's the whole cool thing about these boss fights is that there are there's a almost an immediately apparent way to beat the bosses and then there's like ways to get around it and ways to be creative and do weird things and it's not like super fleshed out in the way that later games are, but this is the kind of the basis of creative and if you want to say emergent gameplay to just use a buzzword that's out there um so for example like you were saying with the raven fight you're facing he's in a tank and he's shooting at you and there's mines in the snow and and you're you're running around like what the hell am i supposed to do it's a guy in a tank so there's a lot of things you can do. You, th- you can throw chaff grenades that kind of disable the tank, but really what you have to do is throw a grenade into the tank and kill the gunner. Mm-hmm. doesn't kill Raven. He just kind of says, you know, oh, you know, you're pretty tough and I'll see you later. But um, to to actually have to figure out, like, how am I going to beat this, this tank? You know what I mean? And um, to get through that, and that's pretty early in the game. Like I, that is I really you, early in the game. I think he's the third quote boss fight, right? Right. And that was actually my first checkpoint for the playthrough because it's only like two hours into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time you're you're only a couple hours into the game, you've already had like major cutscenes. You've already fought Revolver Ocelot, which I, I again that that one's not the best bat- boss battle either. I know you had a little bit of trouble with that one. Uh, yeah, I did, um, and and that's only like he's not hard. I think it's just you have to do that like run and gun thing. Yeah, I think, and it, and the con- the controls for the run and gun are just absolutely. I was going to say the controls and the camera, two things we were, have touched upon, kind of they go against each other in that situation. I think the camera for that's not so bad because you're in a fairly 
square-shaped room. True. And, and you're just sort of running around that central pillar where um where some some hostages tied up. Right. Right. Um. But yeah, you kind of have to kind of chase Ocelot around that room and sort of catch him when he's reloading and then you know get a shot in. Um, right. but the, 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 um, controls for, for the running gun are really, really uncomfortable because I think, I think it's square to pull out your gun and then you have to hold X so you can move around while, while your gun is, is out. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I almost never even did that. I would just shoot while I was standing still. Um, so I I would literally run and then gun. <laughs> so I wasn't actually like running and gunning. Oh, that's, that's and it's important- I mean, like, look, that that works too, right? It's just yeah. It's important to note that you're not actually pressing a button to fire. You're you're, you're more like, like releasing you said, you're the holding button. Holding the fight. button. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You hold the button to aim and you let go to actually fire the gun. And this is useful when you're doing stealth if you are. If you're in a pickle and you think you're going to have to pick somebody off, but then you change your mind, you can actually just deselect your weapon and you don't have to fire it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. It, it, this is before, like, third person aiming down the sights with, like, the 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 left trigger. And, again, the left trigger is used for your menu in this game. So, it's it's kind of just a little bit of a, you know, a, a ancient gameplay well, mechanic. Well, yeah, like you know? I said, product of its time, right? Right, right. So... So we do the Raven boss fight. Then what did I say? The first Sniper Wolf one is is first. No, I believe I believe it's Ocelot, Raven. It's Ocelot first, then Raven, then um, then. Cyborg Ninja. Okay, I keep forgetting Cyborg Ninja. Because yeah, that's that's just like you know, you know, it's it's just a fist fight and sort of like. um, And it's a pain. He has a huge health bar, and he will he will kick and punch you before you can punch him a lot of the time you really have to get used to his patterns and what you need to do to him yeah he's really Um, purely a memorization and that's the that's a point in the story where you meet uh hal emmerich also known as otacon which is a major uh player in the series in this game especially he's the one who created metal gear um and he you know he has a lot of remorse about what he's done and when he meets snake He's kind of the antith- antithesis of Snake in that he's just the everyman. He's kind of a geeky nerd. He actually, you know, he wets himself in the scene with the cyborg ninja. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember he he got into science so that he could build robots like in anime. Right, right. So he's he's kind of the yin to Snake's yang kind of thing, like... He's just the normal guy. So he, mm-hmm. he has a remorse about, you know, helping Foxhound create Metal Gear or whatever, and he wants to help Snake. So he kind of does when you meet him in the Cyborg Ninja fight, and he agrees to kind of help you from behind the scenes because he has stealth camouflage. So then, then we, what do we do next? We, we get back together with Meryl and go into the Psycho Mantis fight. And we yeah. kind of glossed over Meryl because I was talking about boss fights. But, oh man, this, okay, let's, let's keep it together. Keep it together. So we got. <laughs> well, well, oh, hold on. Like, this is, this is Metal Gear we're talking about. We're going to be jumping around. Yeah, no, I, I, but I got this. All right, got, all right. So you first meet Meryl, like, kind of in the, in the beginning of the game because you, you're, 
your first objective is to interview the DARPA chief who y- you find out is not the DARPA chief. It's actually uh, Decoy Octopus, which is another member of Foxhound who never gets fleshed out. He just dies right in the beginning of the mm-hmm. game. Um, but you meet Meryl at that point too. So it turns out Meryl is, uh, she's the, the, she's Campbell's, uh, niece and Campbell is your kind of commanding officer. He's, he's feeding you directions, telling you on your mission, what to do and everything. So that's his niece. She's there. I, and I forget why is she there originally? Like she, she was captured by Foxhound. Um, I can't remember. I can't all, either. All, all I know is, um, um, like she always says, it's been my life's goal to become a soldier. Yeah. Like I, that's, that's, that's her big thing is, you know, uh, is she just wants to become a soldier and, and then she finds out, you know, she's not brave enough or whatever. Right. Okay. So she was a genome soldier and she actually just refused to join Fox, like to j- join the uprising. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of glossing over the Wikipedia article in a panic here because I don't know why Merrill is is in the damn story. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, she's a prisoner in the beginning of the game. You spring her loose, or she springs herself loose, basically, and that's how you. you that's one of the scripted sequences where you actually have to shoot a bunch of people, um, and and she says you know uh, i'll see you later dude and and um from there you kind of part ways for the time being now that's mm-hmm. again that's kind of earlier in the game that's before the the ocelot fight that's very early in the game so then later on you're going to reunite with her before the psychomantis fight now the psychomantis fight i mean dude we could do an entire podcast on this boss fight it is one of the best boss fights of all time. It is one of the most interesting and well-designed and just amazing, like thematically, mechanically. He's one of the coolest characters. He is one of the awesomest looking, like best voice acted. He has all the tricks. Like we talk about little tricks and Easter eggs. He has like five of them in a row in his little uh, cut scene and, and actually during the battle itself. So, you you go into this office where he's at and he takes con- control of Merrill and he has Merrill shoot at you and Campbell's on the radio telling you, you know, don't shoot her, just knock her out or something, you know, and it's like this crazy thing. And then, when, <laughs> and then as soon as you start fighting him, the, the your screen goes blank and it just says Hideo in the corner. Now, I don't know if if, if people who are younger will understand what that is. Okay, so it's obviously Hideo for Hideo Kojima, but when when we had VCRs in the 80s and 90s, which is a video cassette recorder, <laughs> when when you changed inputs to the video the VCR, it would say video. You had to go corner. to the video input, yeah. Right, and then it would it would it would say it, and a lot of TVs it would just say video, and then it would get smaller. And the way <laughs> they did that, like as soon as the boss bites, the boss battle starts, you're all excited. Like this awesome cutscene had just happened, which I'll explain more about. And then it, 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 the screen goes blank and it says Hideo in the corner. And then it shrinks and it says Hideo in the corner. And I actually put an animated GIF of that in the thread because it's, oh man, that is just like a mind blowing moment. It, it, because for a split second, you're like, 
Oh my God, what happened? Did the cat kick the PlayStation? It it froze. Like, (laughs) I, 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 oh man, such a cool moment. So then it, it it really is. And it, that's, I think, where they sort of introduce, you know, where they're going to be breaking the fourth wall and stuff. Oh, and speaking of the fourth wall, I mean, the the cutscene before the boss battle actually starts is just loaded with cool fourth wall breaks. I mean, he'll, Psychomantis as a character, he'll read your memory card if you've played, um, Suicoden or Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which uh, coincidentally are past community playthroughs that we've done. If you have save files for those games on your memory card, he'll say stuff like, oh, I see you like Castlevania. And it's like, <laughs> holy crap. Like at the time, that was that was something it's, amazing. Oh, my God. How does he know that? Yeah, <laughs> right. So then... Um, and then he does the thing where he says, I can move your controller, you know, and he, you know, you put your controller on the floor in front of you. And then he, he rumbles the rumble pack and the controller like moves around. Yeah. And it's just so good. Like these are just amazing. Like I could totally geek out about this boss fight. Yeah. It's awesome. And so then to wrap it all up, I, I don't want to talk about Psychomantis all night, although I could. The, the way you beat Psychomantis is you're shooting at him. He, you, he, you can't see him. He's floating around the room. He's really hard to hit. And finally, you realize you have to actually plug the controller into the second port so that he can't read your mind to know where you're going to be shooting. Mm-hmm. And it was just, again, at the time, it was like, holy crap. Like, who would have ever thought this in a video game? Like, talk about a third, uh, a fourth wall break and like, you have to do this. It was just, it's just amazing. And again, I'm just geeking out. I'm at a loss for words for how awesome it is. Like when you found out about this kind of stuff, Floyd, like what what did you think? Like, I, I know it's, it's a little bit maybe like, I don't know, like nowadays would something like this make as big of an impact? Because I know at the time it was just like, holy crap, you have to put the controller in the other port so he can't read your mind. Like, it's amazing. I, no, I I think that would something like that would still be um, still be really mind blowing. Um, I don't know how like a controller port thing would be handled these days with you know because it's all wireless now. But it's right. still it's still a really cool premise that like um, and it like that fourth wall break makes that boss fight so uh, so exciting and. I, I think this was a fan theory I was reading somewhere. And I mean it's it's credible. I don't know how, how accurate it is. Um but it th- this the events of Metal Gear Solid One are um they're like a, a solid snake simulation. And so like that's where where you know the, the Hideo, you know, like video screen popping up kind of you, you can sort of Say, you know, it makes sense if you're in a simulation or switching controller ports, right? Right. And, I, you know, I don't want to get too much into spoilers of the other games because, you know, we're only covering the first game. But a lot of that gets fleshed out in the second game. I see. Um, okay. that, that, like, player agency or lack thereof is a major theme of the second game mm-hmm. and ties into the first game a lot. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to spoil anything. But okay. you are you are on to something. And I would say, you know, as you play the the second game and so on you'll you'll see what's up with that so i mean like Um, like once again as somebody who's new to the series it it sounds like 
Kojima had a pretty good idea of where he wanted to take these games well before they were all made. A lot of that now, like looking back on the whole series, a lot of there's a lot of jokes made about like, oh, Kojima, he knew where he was going the whole time. He's not just pulling this out of the out of his rear end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's it's kind of a joke. Like, yeah, there's no way he had this entire saga in his head, you know, when he made the first game. But he has, in my estimation, done a really good job tying everything together. And, I the, think and so, the whole yeah. saga, to me at least, is a lot more cohesive now that all the games are out and everything's out than it ever was. You right. know what I mean? And I, in my opinion, he tied everything together pretty well. But um, let's get back to the, the rest of the boss fight. So you do the Psycho Mantis, and, and I guess we could just go through the, the game in general. Um, and you go with Meryl through the sniper wolf battle, which you're basically trying to get to the control tower um, to do what? I don't remember. Call, you know. Um, I know Metal I know Gear, Metal Gear was stored in, in like the northern building, right? And you're, right, the right. game starts off in the southern building. So as um, you're about to get into the control tower, sniper wolf picks off Meryl with a sniper shot obviously so that's this is actually the first time you have to backtrack in the game and i i noted in our notes floyd that there are two major backtracking sequences in the game and this is the first mm-hmm. one where you have to go back to the first building um and find the psg1 which is the sniper rifle in the game this yep. backtracking sequence is not too bad you only have to go back like two buildings yeah, it's not too, you're not going back. back too too far, right? Um, but it, it's it's really weird because I mean, um, Meryl, who you've grown so attached to, is like mortally wounded, right? And it's just and you like have to leave her. You it's, have to leave hard. her. Like, hold on, let me go get a weapon and you know just hang tight, <laughs> right? And it's a really good dramatic moment uh, because Campbell's on the radio again with you, like saying, "Snake, you got to help her. Go, go get that rifle. Hurry up!" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was really cool, and there's a real sense of urgency to it, even though it's not literally any. There's no time limit or anything, right? You but you feel do whatever like you, you want. You feel like you're under pressure. Absolutely, it's implied that you better go get this gun and take care of the situation. Mm-hmm. So you go get the gun, you come back, and Meryl's not there, which is like, oh, crap, what happened? So then you have to fight Sniper Wolf. And there's a lot of... This this boss battle, again, not one of my favorites. I actually like the second Sniper Wolf battle better, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So you're fighting, you're sniping down this long corridor. There's no cover except for off to the sides. If you're off to the sides, you can't... It's really hard to take your own shot. So you have mm-hmm. to kind of... Crouch, aim. If you have diazepam, you take it because that steadies your aim. Otherwise, the camera's just shaking all over the place down the site, which is kind of, that's kind of inconsistent because, I mean, you're supposed to be this, like, super soldier and you can't aim the gun straight to, to shoot. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'll let that but, one slide. Yeah. So, and it gives the it gives you just another mechanic, which is you have to have this um, diazepam, which calms you down and you can aim straight. Um, so you have to snipe sniper wolf and that's, this is the first, um, sniper boss battle, which is a recurring thing throughout the Metal Gear series. There's, there's really great sniper battles throughout the whole 
mm-hmm. uh, saga of the the franchise. Um, but this is the first one, and it's it's kind of it's pretty rough. It's again, you're aiming down a straight corridor with no cover. There, she's in an area where there's three floors, and she can go up and down between them and side to side. And I got to admit, I really cheesed this one because I was using the infinite ammo bandana. But you actually, if you have enough ammo, you can kind of cheese it. And that is that the PSG-1 kind of fires very rapidly if you just kind of wail on the on the fire button. And you can almost like machine gun it and just like kind of mow her down. And you can get like more than one hit at once on her. So you can you can take it very patiently and kind of pick your shots and try and shoot her and try and get a headshot or whatever but really i just cheesed it and just kind of went rapid fire stupid on her but that that that's that boss battle mm-hmm. <laughs> and and once again it's not much of a boss battle it's just you kind of have to hope you don't get hit enough times that you actually die right Right. So then you t- you take her down and you go to to collect her body and you can just get ambushed and captured. Um, and that leads us to the famous torture sequence, which actually sets up the end of the game. Now, what you do here uh, dictates which ending you'll get. This game has two endings. Um, one ending is you escape the base with Otacon. The other one is you escape with Meryl. So in the torture sequence, you have to do a rapid button. T- I actually, my checkpoint was tap the circle button repeatedly to regain your strength. <laughs> so Perfect you're name in for that. <laughs> right? Perfect so you're name in for the this, checkpoint. <laughs> you're in this like electrocution chamber thingy and um, Revolver Ocelot is electrocuting you and you have to hit the circle button uh, incredibly fast to withstand the torture or you can just give up and if you give up that's that will kill Meryl if you withstand the torture uh, Meryl will survive and you'll escape with her at the end of the game and it's funny because I was playing this game with the cheats on again I used the the infinite ammo and the the camouflage but I was playing on the normal difficulty which actually adds um, like two rounds of torture. I didn't know that. That yeah, because I'm so used to playing it on easy or even very easy, so I could just kind of breeze through it. That the torture scenes are actually much easier, believe it or not. So I actually had to succumb to the torture, which I I don't think I've ever done. Like I've, I know that I've I've seen the Otacon ending or gotten it somehow, but I never had to like do it because I had to, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because I didn't want to die and have to go back to my last save because the whole, the whole thing is there are no continues here, but really you would just have to go back to your last save, which would be probably before the sniper wolf boss fight. Right. So having said what I said about that boss fight, you don't want to have to do that again. Exactly. So, <laughs> so but I mean from, like there, there's another fourth wall break there. Yeah, exactly. So for this for this particular playthrough, I actually just succumbed to the torture. I said I can't wail on this circle button fast enough to. Oh, you, you, uh, to you save played it Meryl. enough times that like you know can't uh, can't hold it against you for right. not wanting to play that part. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um. So you get that, and then and then then what? You get out. You have to escape the cell. Now it's funny. Uh, Metal Fro, one of our one of our users, had trouble getting out of the cell, and this was a really cool 
This is a really cool sequence, and and I was really happy that this is the one time in the playthrough that I said, "Oh, ask me for help. I'll help you." <laughs> that again, See, I wouldn't, I have, I wouldn't have cell. thought of this. Like if if I was um, if I had no access to a guide or anything, I would never have thought of uh, how you're supposed to get out of the cell. Well, this is kind of one of those things. It's almost like a an adventure game at this point. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, mm -hmm. and and. I forgot because I always I know how to get out of the cell. I always get right out of it. That if you don't figure it out, they'll just pull you back in for more tor torture. And oh, just really? Keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. So you can be in the cell for a while, and then you'll get tortured more, and then you're back in the cell, and you get tortured. So it's like, yeah, you got to get out of there. So the way you get out of this the cell is there's there's two ways that I know of that you can do it. There's probably more, but. Uh, Otacon comes and visits you while you're in the cell and he gives you ketchup and you say, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? But the guard who's guarding you has some stomach issues and there's certain points where he has to take a bathroom break. So you can either hide under the bed until he comes back, which is kind of simple. And he, he's, he, oh, where'd he go? And he comes in the door and that one's a little challenging because you actually have to crawl out from under the bed and then take him out, which is really hard because as soon as he sees you, he runs out the door and shuts it again. And so, you crawl pretty slowly too, so. Yes. A, a, a better way to do it and the more fun way is to lay still and use the ketchup and it creates this like red pool of ketchup, which <laughs> looks like blood. And then when he comes back from his uh, stomach issues, he says, what the hell? And he comes in the door and you can just stand up and, and knock him out. So that's how you get out of the cell. And then you get all your gear back. And this is the point where you climb the tower, I believe. Um, yeah. Um, the, the endless tower. The, and, and the this very is, long staircase. Right, part. right. And this is what I kind of, from this, the, the staircase through this part I, I can't remember exactly i think you changed discs like after the psychomantis fight but this is I think actually so. this is actually where i kind of feel like the game is about to start wrapping up even though there's a lot of gameplay left i feel like this is almost like the halfway point here is when when you're climbing the tower mm -hmm. um so you climb this infinitely kind of infamous staircase uh corridor thingy t tower you're just going up this endless amount of stairs and guys are chasing you guys are coming down the stairs up the stairs there's again there's a lot of ways you can tackle this you can run like hell but that doesn't always work you can stop and shoot every guy and that's very tedious but uh i would say stun grenades help a lot regular grenades <laughs> help a lot mm -hmm. but that part's that's kind of a pain in the butt too but it brings us to the top of the tower which is where we face the uh, Hein D boss fight, which is Liquid is is uh, riding this helicopter, shooting missiles at you. And uh, you have to have a guided missile uh, that locks on to the helicopter. It's called the Stinger missile. It, it fires in first person after locking on. It's a really badass weapon. And it's really fun to use. That, mm -hmm. that was a fun boss fight. You, yeah. you, you will really get wrecked by his missiles and... You might die a lot, but it's one of those boss fights that's so much fun that you don't mind dying and go back, going back to it and getting it. And when you finally get them, it's like yeah, I took yeah, it's a really it's a really exhilarating fight. Yeah, um, I can't remember. Can you? Because I know at one point you have to rappel down the building. I think that's before you fight the hind. That 
Yeah, I don't remember. It's all at the same time because yeah, because when you fight them, you you take them out. I think right. So mm-hmm. because you go up one tower, repel down the next one, and but then can you? you I, I I I I can't remember. I don't know for sure. Can you can you miss the rope? Like can you not get the rope? Yeah, because the rope is at the bottom of that long staircase that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you grab it or you're in trouble <laughs> because there's actually a, a cutscene. It's not a cutscene. It's a, just a line. He says, like, he says, if only I had a rope. But if you're if you paid attention, you grabbed it on your way up. You already have it. And then right. you repel down the side of the tower. Um, and that's that's another weird, like one off game mechanic is repelling down the tower because you're you're repelling down this rope and you can push off and you can you know uh slide down the rope i don't know how i feel about it. i don't love it but it's like something just totally different and just a total throwaway thing that they mm-hmm. did while the helicopter shooting at you there's steam vents coming out it's like an old arcade game almost yeah but, it's more um, it was more of like a mini game than anything yeah yeah kind of neat i don't know how i feel about it. i don't know if i like it or love it or don't like it or whatever but it, it only takes like two minutes yeah not even i don't minute. think like i don't dislike it but i guess i don't particularly like it either yeah so then um boy there's some other stuff i'm just going to gloss over we go to the the second sniper wolf fight and this is where we discover that um Atacon is kind of in love with her and um he was saying uh Fox, like the foxhound guys wanted to kill the dogs that were on the base, but Sniper Wolf let him keep the dogs alive. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, as an animal lover, that really touches my heart. So right. I, I thought that, you know, that was very nice. And it makes, you know, Emmerich more endearing and it makes you kind of sympathetic for Sniper Wolf. And this is a much better sniper fight in my opinion because you're fighting in a wide open field of snow it's very nice it's at nighttime there uh, there's a wide open field and yet there's cover so you can crouch under the hills there's a truck if you can get to it which is very difficult you can hide behind or in the truck or underneath it but it's really hard to get to because you're going to get shot so again there's a very creative way to cheese the sniper wolf fight which is to use the Nikita missile, which is a guided missile that you shoot. You shoot from third person, and then the camera actually follows the missile um, from oh, the right. You can sort of steer view. the you can steer the missile around. Right. So basically, she's she will see it and shoot it occasionally, but she's mostly just oblivious to it, especially if you hit her from the side or from behind. So if you hit her, I think it's like five or six of those, boss fight over. It, mm-hmm. it, it ends up being pretty easy. You can call it cheesing it. I love doing it that way. That's that's the way I almost always do it. <laughs> um, because, again, this, this sniper rifle mechanics in this game aren't the best. The whole diazepam thing is a little weird, and sometimes you don't have it. You know what I mean? So I like doing the Nikita thing. I think it's funny. Yeah. But then you have one of the most touching cutscenes in the game. Is, I was about to is, say it's one of my favorites too. Yeah, and in, you know what? I I actually watched an old YouTube video um, from IGN of uh, interview with David Hayter, the voice actor who plays Solid Snake, and his his favorite moments of the franchise. And this was the first thing he talked about was uh, Sniper Wolf's uh, death scene. Because, uh, you know, Otacon's there and he's he's very upset about the situation. And mm-hmm. it's just a really 
it's a really good scene. She, again, just, there's, everything is so just like respectful and it's something you don't see in, in games a lot. And I'm trying to think of an example. Like I just played a game called No More Heroes and it was just a bloodbath of like, craziness if anybody's played it like you know it's just like stupidity Mm -hmm. and it gives no like respect to the violence or death or whatever and that's that's part of the joke of the game that's what it's supposed to be but like there's a tone to sniper wolf's death that is so like respectful and it's just odd that it's in this video game like this is that's 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 like her moment of uh that's her moment of redemption Right, and it's there's like a humanity to it, and the, mm-hmm. and the same thing happened with Psycho Mantis, but with the Sniper Wolf fight, you have the Otacon relationship w- tied into the whole thing, right, yeah. so it's it just adds that much more weight to it. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good scene. So then, okay, we're <laughs> we're get we're getting there. Um, I'm just going to kind of fast forward to what you have to do at the end of the game which is um i guess there's all right. the second first backtracking I, yeah first thing i want to bring up is is well let's do the backtracking thing first cuz that comes first you you have this pal key that you are told from the beginning of the game this is how you disarm metal gear with this key and they keep saying there's three keys you need, you i only to have one two more yeah right so when am i going to get these other two keys and you get to where metal gear is you're at like the end of the game and you, here i am that's this is it what am i supposed to do i only have one key you mean i got to find two more so you see a cutscene and then it's explained to you through a long convoluted codec conversation and everything else that the the PAL key that you have is a shape-shifting alloy or whatever that changes um, with uh, temperature changes. Mm-hmm. So, Kind of wacky, but whatever. Right. So it's one key. You have to use it room temperature. Then you have to use it cold, cold and then, and then hot. hot. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're there. You put it in. First one's done. Then you have to make it cold. So you go back to the ice box where you fought Raven for the second time, which we skipped to. That boss battle is another one where you're <laughs> just real quick describe it. You're in like a almost like a Pac-Man grid with the guy, and you there's a lot of like corners and you know the the lines of sight are are very segmented because of these like boxes that you have to run through. And there's a lot of ways you could do it. Again, you can use the Nikita, but it's very challenging to guide the missile between those boxes. What I did, I actually used the landmines and kind of lure him towards me. Oh, so that's, I, I never thought just, of that. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's a good so method. Kind of, like, uh, kind of like one of the uh, Bane fights in one of the Batman games. It actually is a lot like that. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. But yeah, you, the way you like can you're play, do... Like your cat and mouse, basically. Exactly, exactly. You could do C4 or land landmines. He'll just walk right into him and, and get blown up. C4, you got to be a little bit more into it and blow him up yourself when mm-hmm. he gets there so that that was the second raven boss battle i kind of forgot about but anyway you take your pal key there to make it cold it turns blue and then you got to get your butt back to the command center and get it in there now you're going through that furnace thing again which if you aren't careful you can actually turn no no no, no i'm saying it backwards so yeah. you, you take the cold key back and, and then pop you have it in to, the computer 
Right. So then you have to turn it hot. So you have to go all the way back. And and the key will only change if you have it equipped, right? Uh, no, it'll change. It'll oh, okay. change. I thought, yeah. you had, I thought you had to equip it. No, no, no. You, just so long as you're in the area. So then you have to go back to this furnace area, which is just one room in in the game that's all the way in the beginning of this this segment of the game. So that's that's probably what most people complain about when backtracking. Now the thing is cuz you have to go up those those elevators. Right. And that that's what takes a long time. That's what's really tedious. That is true. And and there's two very long codec calls during those during those elevator rides that I think people kind of tie in with that whole backtracking segment. And then sometimes you're nervous, like, is this going to affect the key? Because you, you once you turn the key hot, it can actually turn cold again if you take too long going through yeah. the, the icebox section. And that <laughs> really sucks. And that's what a lot of people really hate about that backtracking is if you mess it up, you have to go back to the, the, the um, you know, the furnace room, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. So... And then to, to add a little insult to injury, they, they put guards patrolling the area that you fought Vulcan Raven in that kind of Pac-Man, uh, oh, yeah. you know, crates area. Yeah. So you have to be stealthy now, but still do it quickly enough that the card won't go cold. No, so anyway, um, go ahead. Because you watched a speedrun of this. Is there a faster way? To uh, heat the key. You know what? There's not, actually. I, I saw the, the, the guys that were doing it were kind of laughing. Like, there's no way to avoid the long uh, uh, elevator rides. I think they did some kind of trick with turning the key hot. I'm not positive about that. Mm. I, I, I don't think I'm... I, I think they had to go through the whole thing. But it's funny you mentioned that. And I, I, I put it in my notes. I actually timed it. And for me to go from the time I put in the first key to the time I put in the third key took me pretty almost exactly 20 minutes. And I actually skipped both of the long uh, codex scenes, or I actually kind of skimmed through them and read them rather than listening Mm -hmm. to them. Um, So it's, yeah, it's backtracking and the long elevator scenes. And if you watch the codex scenes would make it seem like, wow, this is a... This is just so tedious backtracking. It, it really sucks, but it's it's not as bad as as people think. Um, right. So that's that's what happens, and and that so what happens is you you kind of kick off the the ending of the game from this point. What you did, you were told that by f- shape shifting these pal keys and doing all this backtracking, and all this crap, and you you put the keys in. And you're told that this is going to disarm Metal Gear. That's the only way to do it. As it turns out, what you actually did, you were tricked into arming Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. And now there's a there's a guy we forgot to mention, Master Miller, who's kind of he's kind of a side character from the beginning of the beginning of the game. You can call him on your codec, and he'll tell you about the animals in the area or the weather or whatever, all this like side stuff mm-hmm. that you don't really care about or need to know for the game. But as it turns out, there's this big reveal where um, it turns out that Liquid Snake is posing as Miller, and Miller's actually dead. Um, which in the context of the whole saga, like Miller's a major character and that, and it's funny in, in Metal Gear Solid one that he's just, oh, we found him dead in his, his house. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's kind of funny, like going back to the fact, like, uh, 
you know, he's just unceremoniously found dead in his house right. in the first game where he becomes a major character in well, retrospect. The, in the, the other games game. in the series, they don't go in chronological order. You kind of jump right, around, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just to clarify. But that's that's kind of the contrast that, like, what, where I was saying with Gray Fox and Jaeger, they don't really go back to him a lot uh, or at all in some of the later games. Like, Miller is a is a major character in some of the the games that are set earlier in the timeline so so anyway you find out that liquid snake is posing as miller the person you were told is miller is actually liquid snake and he's been kind of manipulating you the whole time and one of the things that i always thought is funny is that when miller starts telling you like who he is and it's the same voice actor by the way like i i didn't i didn't know the first time I played the game, but a lot of people were like, yeah, it's the same guy. Like, you didn't know that. <laughs> you can't tell. Like, you know what I mean? Are you paying attention? It's the same voice. Yeah, I think it shouldn't be. A, I mean, it's it's not super well hidden that these people are the same person. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm, it, I'm arguing that it's not super obvious either. Exactly. But, That's but the I was funny just going to say that. Like Snake is like, what are you telling me? Like, <laughs> like I'm telling you, I'm your brother, and he's like, it, what it do takes you mean? him a while. <laughs> it's like, dude, get it through your head, Snake. The guy took off his glasses. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's freaking Liquid Snake the whole time. But it's just funny how like it's just one of those like unintentionally funny moments in the game. Uh, he just doesn't get it. So. This is where the whole climax of the game happens. Your your final two boss battles are that you have you have to fight Metal Gear, which is a very challenging kind of a pain in the butt uh, fight. And even with the cheat items, um, like with unlimited ammo, it helps. Trust me, like because you can throw chaff grenades like kind of infinitely, and it throws off the the missile targeting system a little bit, so he won't just like mow you down with missiles. But even to do that and then get a couple hits off with the missile launcher and then run around some more and throw a whole bunch of chaff grenades and then line up another hit with the missile launcher, it's very challenging. Um, in the middle of this fight, he ends up killing Gray Fox, the ninja. Um, and another big thing about this boss battle is it's two... There's two phases of this boss battle, and there's no checkpoint in between. So if you die on the check on the second phase, which is again, it's very challenging. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. So this is one of the, for me, it was one of the hardest parts of the game, um, to take down Metal Gear with the missile launcher. So then you do it. Everything's kind of exploded. Liquid comes out, and you have to fight him one on one, like in a fist fight, on top of Metal Gear. It's it's. Pretty awesome, pretty badass. There's ways to like cycle lock him and beat him up. That's what I saw. It's the the guy in the speed run did it and just like wailed on him. And it was like, oh man, I wish I could figure out how to do that because it's it's a lot like the ninja fight. It's really a pain in the butt. Like he'll just kind of he'll whip you, you know, you know? Mm -hmm. like he'll hit you before you know what hit you. But um, so you fight him, then you try to escape with, with, with whoever's ending you're getting, if, if you're escaping with Otacon or with Meryl. And we go into one of my least favorite sequences in the game, which is where um, it's a vehicle chase sequence out of the complex. And it's a mounted gun turret sequence. But you're, the way it controls is kind of a missed opportunity because you're on just like a pivot 
like the gun is on a tripod and all you can do is pivot left and right. But the way the 3D controls are, like it only pivots a certain amount. If it, Again, it's almost like this tank control kind of turning left or right only. And you have to shoot a bunch of soldiers out of the way and then, oh, surprise, Liquid is still alive and he's chasing you. Mm-hmm. And you can only hit him when he kind of puts his head up and it's really hard to line up the shots. Yeah. And I remember hating that segment when I was a kid. I died on it a couple times playing it this time. I really didn't like it. And it's it's one of the it's one of the few things I really hate about the game yeah, is that final I mean, sequence. That, it's kind of cliche, too. Yeah, that's you know, true. it's it's kind of just like it's, it's really forced. I could, I, I honestly, Floyd, I could forgive that if it played better, if it played even a little bit better, I could forgive that. You know what I mean? Um, but you're right. the The fact that it's like this forced, like driving, escaping, being chased kind of thing. But again, that's that's an action movie trope that Kojima wanted to put in his game because yeah. he wanted it to be like an action movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think that, you know, coming out of um, the battle with Metal Gear and then the, the, the fight on top of Metal Gear, like, um, you know, that, that that's really good. You know, there's a lot of, you know, tension and, and uh, you know, excitement there. Um, I don't think you really needed um, that that last car chase. Yeah, and that's and again, dying during it is very. It's one of those immersion breaking things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Like when you're in the middle of a really intense, like dramatic moment, and you die and have to restart it, and it's like, damn, like yeah, it's it's like you you lose all that momentum. Right, right. So, but then I mean, that's it. Once you get through that, that's the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly long cutscene and end of the game. Yeah, you get a long cutscene. You get some some things explained to you, like story nuance things that we didn't. We didn't honestly, we didn't get into a lot of the deeper, like more detailed aspects of the story. But that's okay. I think for for the purposes of this podcast and the playthrough, mm-hmm. well, we, like like know. we've already been going almost an hour and a half, and oh yeah, we've, we've really only touched the surface. Absolutely, but. Suffice it to say, you defeat Liquid and you ride off into the sunset with whoever your partner is at that point in the game. Either Dave, or, yeah, Dave is Snake, or um, I mean, Otacon or Merrill mm-hmm. on a snowmobile, and you get the ending. And and the end of the game is really cool. There's this. There's a, I I forgot to mention one of the things I love about this game is all the full motion video that they use in the cutscenes because this was at a time like I wasn't a big PC gamer when I was younger so like FMV was kind of very impressive to me on a console game CD based mm-hmm. games are kind of new at the time and there's a lot of FMV in this in this game there's a moment at the end of of the game that's an it's just an FMV of uh, a dog sled because snake said while he was in retirement, he was a, a dog sled musher. Yeah. So it's like, he's going to go back to this tranquil, peaceful life that he had. So it's, it's a really nice kind of way to end the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it yeah, re- that, really is a nice ending. Um, and it's important to note if you finish the game with, with Otacon, he gives you his stealth camo that you can use for like a new game plus. And if you finish with Merrill, you get the infinite ammo bandana that you can use. Um, so that's 
that's a good reason to go through and play the game multiple times and get the different ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a whole game. I mean, oof, we touched on um, a lot of things with the gameplay, the story, and again, m- I mean, my apologies for for all the story elements we, we just totally glazed over and missed. But uh, yeah, I don't know what what else uh, what else do you want to talk about? For, for, so many for story, things. I think I think we got it. Yeah. Um, like this, this would be like five hours long at least if we were going to talk about everything. Right, right. So I just want to throw in like just the general presentation of the game for the time. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but as far as the graphics, I think for a PlayStation 1 game, the graphics in this game are incredible. I think it looks pretty good, yeah. If you look at a lot of um, PS1 games of the era, especially 3D games, you know, Kojima and, and his team are known for pushing the limits of whatever hardware they're working on. And they have, they play playstation systems like a violin and it, it is so amazing what they did if you if you look at any other game you'll see textures that are not so great you'll see a lot of pop in you'll see a lot of uh, polygon warping you know a lot of games look like really wobbly with the polygons in the early ps1 era but like everything in this game just looks solid mm-hmm. no pun intended but it looks like you know, everything's very straight and, and looks good in the world and looks realistic for for what it is. And, you know, I think this game, especially compared to its peers at the time, is just an amazing looking game. Yeah, um, I, it, like it definitely looks much, much better than the other games that were out there at the time. Right. Um, now, like I, as, as, as far as like 3D polygonal games go, right? Um, absolutely. And then add to that, we have some amazing music. Yep. Um, we have some uh, just incredible voice acting. I mean, David Hayter as Solid Snake is one of the most iconic mm-hmm. like, performances in video game history. Uh, you had Jennifer Hale in there. Like some some of our you know favorite voice actors around are in this game, and they all did a really great job. Um, and this again, this was from a time when when voice acting. It was before kind of voice acting was taken seriously in games. Mm-hmm. A lot of these CD-based games that had voice acting on them were just kind of like literally phoned in or, you know, thrown in at the last minute because, yeah. oh, we can do this. Oh, you almost became a Jill sandwich and we're going to play. I, we're actually going to play the remake of Resident Evil. But like Resident Evil 1 is is one of the examples of like really poor voice acting so yeah. the, the, the fact that in this game it was taken seriously for one of the first times it well, really I, I think you know like they, through. they got really good actors for this yeah i mean i, I haven't played uh, resident evil like, so i don't know who um who the cast was for that but i mean i yeah, guess it, within the voice acting community these guys were and probably still are like the a-listers oh yeah Yep. So that I mean, I guess we could start wrapping it up, dude. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That I can't recommend this game highly enough. If mm-hmm. you are, if you have played any of the other games in the series and you're afraid to go back to it, I would encourage you to go back to it. You you can handle it. Play the game on very easy. There are five difficulty settings, I believe, 
very easy, easy, normal, you know, hard and very hard if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. So you can play the game all the way on very easy. You can even do what I did for this particular playthrough, which is download a save file that has the stealth camo and the uh, infinite ammo and just go for it. Like, you know, if you just want to run through it and experience the story, I'd say it's worth it. It's it's on PSN. It's like 10 bucks, I think. Mm -hmm. Like. Uh, it, it, physical it, copy yeah, is it. not uh, physical copies are not rare they're not hard to come by get a real copy check it out yeah if you want to play the twin snakes you can play the twin snakes i'm just i don't want to spend a lot of time on the twin snakes but that was a remake um done on the gamecube there are some really cool things about it there are a lot of issues with it all the voice acting was re-recorded for that game and there's just something missing from the voice acting that really takes away from the overall presentation it's a it's a very interesting game in that like if you want to see a graphically updated um version of metal gear solid that's actually uses the metal gear solid 2 engine check it out it's worth it but as far as like sitting down and playing through metal gear solid i really would recommend playing the playstation version for the the true experience mm -hmm. of the game um so yeah um i'm curious floyd like your overall impressions of the game itself and like you and i have talked off the air about going through the rest of the series i i, uh, I want to i i really want to go through the rest of the series now, um, are you going to go just like sequentially? Like, are you going to play Metal Gear Solid 2 next? Or are you going to try something different? Try and go to one of the big boss games or something else? Uh, no, I'll probably go into uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah. Um, but it's like, because you, you get a taste of um, everything that this series has to offer you, like the characters, the story, the uh, the gameplay. And it's... it's you. you Having played this, I'm I'm craving more. That's you know? awesome. Um, it it's sort of like this isn't enough, and and you know, like I need to see how everything is going to progress and evolve, and and you know, I want to see how these characters, um, you know, intertwine with each other, and and um, you know, also because it's been in in the news and everything like that. That's that sort of contributed to uh, why I want to play. The rest of the series but i think when you when you play this game and this it, it gets the ball rolling for the whole overarching metal gear story and you know it it, it just isn't enough this having only played one game the story doesn't feel complete absolutely uh i would caution you and i don't want to comment too much on metal gear solid 5 but you might still feel that way even after you feel all play all of them but i'm yeah, like i said I, earlier I, I, I read some reviews on that one too and it sounds yeah. like um they're they're saying like it, it feels like it's being wrapped up too soon well, again, like the, where Metal Gear Solid Five falls is kind of in the middle of the storyline. So, like, I think I told you off the air, like, if you play two, three, and four, you'll understand the whole saga. And, and games like Peace Walker, Portable Ops, Metal Gear Solid Five, they kind of fill in the middle of the story. So, mm -hmm. uh, again, having played them all and just being able to kind of take a step back and look at them. And it, again, in the context of playing Metal Gear Solid 1 just a few weeks ago, which was so awesome with you guys. And again, I just want to thank the community and, and, and you, Floyd and, and 
for putting me in the driver's seat on this one. This really is such a, a special and important game in my life. It was really awesome to like be able to share it with, mm-hmm. with everybody. And, uh, but yeah, the, I, I can just put my arms around the entire franchise. I recommend every single game wholeheartedly. Some, some are better than others. Some have their strengths and weaknesses. And there are people who are in camps that are like, you know, one and three are awesome, two and four suck or the other way around. And it's like, no, like for me, I love them all. I think they all have their strengths and weaknesses. They're really good. I can recommend the entire franchise. And um, you were asking me about the HD collection, which has uh, MGS 2, 3 and Peace Walker. And I can recommend that as an HD collection. From what I understand, it doesn't have any issues. There's a lot of these collections that come out that have honestly like really like inexcusable performance issues like the zone of the enders uh hd collection and the silent hill hd collections were just really like shabby port jobs so i heard about those so i mean yeah you have to be good to hear that that this hd pack is is worth it and like they actually put some uh some care into it yeah they but but that that seems to go uh, like that's to be expected i mean uh, a kojima product a metal gear game you know there's going to be so much care and love and passion in it yep you're always going to get that attention to detail and that that polish and the, the, the just insane attention to detail so yeah man i think that's it i do you have anything else to say I, I think i'm good man no i'm 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 happy with all this i think uh we we touched on everything we wanted to some maybe not enough. <laughs> What's that? So, I said the dogs are barking. The dogs so are barking. They're happy. <laughs> All right. So um, since we're in the retro seat this month, let's talk about uh, the retro game for October. We are uh, following the tradition of playing a Castlevania game in October. Um, and we're going to actually hit Castlevania Bloodlines for the Sega Genesis. So, yeah, the only Sega Genesis Castlevania game. Yes, sir. So, you know, as usual, please come to rfgeneration.com, come to the community playthrough subforum, join us, come play the game with us, play, you know, uh, the modern game with us, which is actually going to be the Resident Evil remake. So those are our games. We, we usually now, can hor- people play the original release too, or? Yes. Now, um, Steven is hosting the uh, Resident Evil thing. And, you know, we want people to play the games. We, we're not going to exclude anybody who wants to play the, the PlayStation 1 version of Resident Evil. But the playthrough itself is going to be designed around the remake and the HD re-remake of uh, Resident Evil, just so you know. And there are some content differences, but we can go into that in the forum. So please, if you want to play the PlayStation version, if that's the version you have, that's the version you want to play, you're welcome to come aboard and join us. So that's what we're doing in October. We usually do spooky games. We we like to uh, have horror-themed games. So we got Castlevania Bloodlines on the retro side. we got Resident Evil remake preferably or the original version on the modern side
Do not attempt to adjust your computer. This is the September Modern 2015 segment of the RF Generation Playcast. I am your host, Single Banana, and with me is my good pal, Disposed Hero. How's it going, guys? All right. So, this month we played the game Indigo Prophecy. Um, As some of you may know, Sean and I switched sides. We flip-flopped. I usually host the retro side, and he usually hosts the modern, but he was wanting to play a little bit of Metal Gear Solid, which can't blame him. It's a fantastic game, and I'm sure they've already spoken about that and had a great review of it. Glowing, as I know Sean loves that game. But we decided to play Indigo Prophecy. This was a game that I had originally selected. I decided that we weren't really giving the original Xbox a lot of love, so I wanted to you know, maybe choose a a game only on the Xbox, which I had. But, of course, the game is also available on the PlayStation 2. Um, We went through sort of a list of games. And, Sean, you remember which games we looked at for that? Sean's not here. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Steven, do you remember which games we looked at? (laughs) Um. I think there was a Phantom Dust and Gun Valkyrie. I think I pretty much just looked at a list of Xbox exclusives and sent them to you. But uh, yeah, I, I yeah. don't really remember. That was a while back. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of uh, again. That's that's sort of how I collect. You know, when it comes to Xbox, um, you know, I just I sort of pick up the games that are very system specific for that system. And I think you mentioned you did yeah, too. Yeah, right? same here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, just to get into it, uh, Indigo Prophecy was originally titled Fahrenheit. Um, The change was made to avoid confusion with the uh, Michael Moore film that came out during the same month, uh, February of 2005. Uh, The Michael Moore film was uh, Fahrenheit Fahrenheit 9-11, and again, released around the same time. And um, if you follow us on the forums, I had mentioned that something really odd happened to me during this playthrough. Um, I, um, I I woke up, I, I beat the game on September 15th, and woke up the next morning uh, unknowingly uh, finding out that the 10-year the anniversary of Indigo Prophecy, uh, when it was released, was actually on the day I beat it. So that was... That was that was really cool and a pretty pretty awesome thing to find out after you beat the game that you beat it on the exact day of its ten year anniversary. Um, that definitely wasn't on purpose. And even when I picked this game, had no idea that this was going to be um, even the month it was released ten years ago. So it, it's odd how things sort of work out that way. Uh, just a, uh, yeah, a great stroke I, of luck. <laughs> I, I wondered if uh, when you. Uh, I, I, while I was playing the game, I did a little research myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I saw on the game's Wikipedia page that it came out in September 2005, and mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering if I didn't think you you knew, but I was wondering if you had planned that intentionally to play this game on its 10 year anniversary. But uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely not. I could never <laughs> plan anything that cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool that it, it worked out that way. It's like, uh, you know, it's like what are the odds? I know, I know, right? And, and on the same exact day. Yeah, that's like later. one in a million. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I was really pumped about that. Um, Indigo Prophecy was developed by Quantic Dream, who also um, developed such hits as Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls uh, for the PlayStation 3. And uh, I think um, I actually own both of those titles. Haven't played either of them. Steven, I know you own both as well. 
and you, you've mentioned you've played Heavy Rain, right? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, yeah, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but it's also a really, really cool game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard nothing but glowing things about uh, both of those games, so I'm eager to check those out down the road, and hopefully, um, you know, maybe we can talk some people into doing a uh, playthrough, depending on the length. I'm not sure about the length of the game, so. Um, but um, Indigo Prophecy was published by Atari for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox and branded uh, by the developers as an interactive film um, other than an action title. And um, how, do you, how do you feel about that, Stephen? Is that pretty apt? Is that kind of what this game ended up being? Um, more or less. I mean, it's... it's I guess you could... I guess there's any number of things you could call it really i mean you could easily call it an adventure game as well i think sure. but um i think david cage who is kind of the mastermind behind these games and behind quantum dream i think he mm-hmm. just he's a he's an aspiring filmmaker at heart i guess and he just he wants to call his games interactive films and uh and, and they're they're very cinematic games and you mm-hmm. know they're kind of they're relatively light on the gameplay when you compare them to a lot of other games so um yeah I, yeah, I think interactive film is a fitting description for these type of games. Mm-hmm. Okay, speaking of David Cage, did you notice him anywhere in the game? <laughs> uh, during the tutorial sequence. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you actually played the tutorial. I definitely did. So, yeah, uh, I had to re-familiarize myself with, <laughs> with the controls of this game. Because we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but they're a little awkward at times. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Um, so... We mentioned it's sort of like an interactive film, and I noticed that some of the games that we had played, that we've played through the playthrough, I didn't actually participate. Um, I believe it was last year when we did the the PC titles. Do you remember that? We did that like stack of four PC titles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you hadn't joined us yet, but um, right. did you did you play any of those? Was it? Uh, I want to say it was like Gone Home. Yeah, I, I played. All of those except Minecraft. So I played. Okay. I played probably whichever one you're gonna bring up here. <laughs> yeah, Dear Esther was the other that was sort of familiar. Uh, Gone Home and Dear Esther um, reminded me a lot of Indigo Prophecy, and in it was just sort of a narrative. And especially Dear Esther, you're, you're just kind of walking around. It's very. Um, uh, how, how do I want to say it? It's very uh, linear, um, you know, and you just kind of hit the right areas and it becomes this more of like an interactive film as opposed to a game. Now I, I think Indigo Prophecy definitely has more interactivity um, yeah, than say yeah. like Dear Esther for sure. I mean, you know, beyond that you, you have to do certain things and you know, if you don't do things right, then you fail. So, um, which, you know, we'll get into, but before we go too far, let me just kind of give a brief story overview for those who maybe haven't played the game. Um, you basically, um, the game starts out in a bathroom in New York City. Uh, it's the middle of winter. It's snowing really hard. Um, there's a um, kind of thin um, business-looking guy with glasses staring into a mirror, checking himself after apparently after he used the restroom. And the camera pans back into a man sitting in a bathroom stall, shaking all over um, and you notice he has blood all over his wrists and a knife in his hand. And suddenly he pops out of the bathroom, sneaks up on the guy, murders him in cold blood, and then wakes up from this sort of trance 
not knowing what he's done. And this is who you play. You are this character, um, a man by the name of Lucas Kane. Basically, you spend the rest of the story trying to figure out what's happened to you, why you've committed this act. Um, and you also, um, in the second hand, you kind of play as the detectives who are actually looking for Lucas. There are two detectives, uh, a lady named Carla Valente and a guy named Tyler Miles. Um who are actually looking for the killer, which they don't know is Lucas in the beginning. Um, and the plot is sort of, you know, woven sort of around this interaction, this dichotomy between these two sets of people, uh, or, or two groups, I guess I should say, um, the cops and the murderer, um, though you play as all of them individually at times, right? Yeah, and it's, it's a little, it's, it's kind of bizarre that you're, you know, you're controlling Lucas, who is the main character of the game, like the right. the main main character, and uh, you know, you're trying to escape from the cops, and you're trying to figure out what happened, and you know, because uh, you're not really res- directly responsible for this murder, you're being controlled by somebody else. Sure. Then, then you play the cops, and you're trying to to catch him, and, and <laughs> trying to catch yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's like certain things you do with one say like with the detectives you can discover certain um clues and, and evidence uh, against lucas and that can have like repercussions against him later sure and uh, it's it's yes you know, kind of a conflicting uh uh dynamic they they made with this game right right so the game sort of plays out um it's a third person perspective um, you, you're controlling all of your characters, um, and it sort of has um, these controls, which are probably best described as tank controls. Can you sort of describe, like, what sort of meant by that definition of tank controls well, for those unfamiliar? I, yeah, I think um, I, I sent a message to you sometime about sure. uh, talking about tank controls in this uh, when we talk about this game. This game mm-hmm. actually does not have tank controls. Okay. Um, what tank controls are, and I'm going to try to explain this the best, as best I can, but um, with Indigo Prophecy, when you control your character, you are moving, mm-hmm. w- when you move in a direction, you're moving based on the direction the camera is facing. Sure. So if you press up, you're moving like up in the direction like the screen is facing. If you move left and right, you're moving left and right based on how the screen is positioned, right? how the camera is facing. With tank controls, you move... Um, based on the direction your character is facing. Right. So if you press up on your D-pad or analog stick in a game that mm-hmm. has tank controls, then your character moves forward regardless of which direction they're facing. Right. So um, you can be facing, say, to the right of this. Like, if your character might be facing um, towards the right and you press up, he's going to move to the right, mm-hmm. which is forward for him. It's kind of hard for me to put this in the words. Well, no, like no, it makes it makes sense. But, um, yeah, and I think I mentioned something about I thought this game might be a little better if it had tank controls because there were a lot mm-hmm. of instances right. where I was moving around. And when th- the problem is when the camera angle changes, then your movement changes as well in a right. game like this. And so that makes a lot of kind of awkward moments where you're trying to move a certain direction and you start moving in another direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of moments where I felt like this game had tank controls and that would be a problem. Right. Um, I don't know, it's kind of, a lot of people don't like tank controls. I think they're kind of confusing, a little unintuitive at first, but once, like for me, I've played a lot of survival horror games, 
right. in, in a lot of those old survival horror games to use tank controls and uh it's like second nature for me to control a game that way so it's i feel right at home with it but a lot of people don't like it because it's it's i guess it's confusing at first but uh yeah i think this game would have been a little better if it had had tank controls is, right is, is my personal opinion i don't no, no, I, I I agree. There there were parts of it, and I, and I didn't feel this way about the majority of the game. I only found myself sort of, um, my character sort of feeling out of place, or, or um, you know, maybe running in in the wrong direction. In certain parts. Yeah. One of the one of the parts was inside uh, Lucas's office. I don't know if you remember some of the sequences inside of there when I would try to go behind things or search. Uh, for some reason, the camera angle would sort of change abruptly, mm-hmm. and I would be pushing one way and going another. Right. You know. You know. It would just it would just change, like you said, uh, quickly. Um, yeah. I think I think some of the game. I don't know that the, the game would benefit from tank controls, but maybe just a little bit better use of you know when the screen switches and, and things of that nature might might have been you know a little bit better. And as far as the way the game was designed. Um, but, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of issue with the controls and it doesn't sound like you did either. Um, there were just probably just certain parts that, um, yeah, there could have been never, made a better. there was never like a, like any, like there was anything else like game breaking, but there were just a lot of right. moments. Like I said, I'm so used to tank controls that I just, a lot of moments I was feeling like that this game would have slightly benefited from, you know, tank controls because sure. there are certain instances where you're, where you're being timed. And then, mm-hmm. like you, like you said, you're 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 having to do something within a set amount of time, and then uh, you're trying to move in a certain direction, and then the camera angle changes, so you start moving in the opposite direction, and you know it kind of th- those are really the moments where I'm like, oh, if this game had tank controls, and I wouldn't have this problem right now. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so the controls, like you said, are used through the. Um, um, Mainly through the analog stick. I don't. I don't know if you could use the D-pad on this game. I can't remember. I I wasn't using it, so I, I didn't really pay much attention to that. I thought it was just a little bit easier, a little more analog stick friendly uh, for this game. Yeah. Um. It, along with the movement in this game, uh, which it, which is an important part, though it's like like we mentioned before, it's not action adventure. It's not a platformer. So movement. Uh, you know, a lot of times movement, except for. I think there's a few sequences that are like uh, I know some of the flashback sequences at the at the guard ha- um, at, on the um, the army base. You, you do use a lot of movement, and you have to be sort of precise with your movements there, right? Um, so that you don't get um, you don't get arrested or, or caught. You, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? The flashback sequences. Yeah, with the what I consider the ill-advised uh, stealth segments in this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I thought, um, as that that being sort of one of the scenes, there 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 are a few scenes um, in the game that are somewhat contrived, and and I think we'll kind of talk about those a little bit later as well. But yeah, there there there's like you said with the controls, there's some really odd stealth scenes, but that's you know that's when you're probably using um, your, your movement controls probably the most. A lot of it, most of the movement is sort of, you know, confined to like tighter spaces and not, you know, more open areas. Um, but but the other thing that you're doing in this game is um, what we'll call um, uh, quick time event sequences or QTEs as a lot of people talk about those. And these are basically, um, I guess you correct me if I'm wrong, but just sort of like 
button mashing or directional pushing sequences that you have to sort of break or mimic um, to, you know, get past a certain area or part of the game, right? Yeah. It's just uh, yeah. Uh, timed button prompts uh, to, you know, whatever objective you need to perform. Right. Um, right. I guess with Indigo Prophecy, I, I, I'm usually not... A lot of people hate QTEs. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, they just think QTEs are like the devil when it comes to video games. I personally mm-hmm. don't mind them that much in general, but I don't think they were done very well in this game. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. kind of weird Simon Says uh, button prompts. You have to hit the analog sticks and um, in the four different directions as they appear on the screen. And right. It's uh, really confusing. Yeah. There's that. There's that part of it. And then there's also the... L1, R1 buttons that you have to, in, in some sequences, you have to like kind of, I think there's like a balance sequence and like a breathing sequence where you have to oh, like kind yeah. of press those at certain times in like a kind of like a slower fashion. And there's other parts where you have to like, I mean, you have to just continuously bang on uh, alternating L1, R1. And I don't know, for me, like some of those sequences were just too long and that that's like a really uncomfortable button mashing when you're trying to do the the top two as quick as you can, you know that for me that was very uncomfortable uh, to have to do a lot of it for that long. The analog stick stuff I, I didn't mind quite as much, um, though. And, and I think I mentioned this to you, like uh, some of the colors. Um, again, like if you haven't played the game, there's. It shows both sticks, and then if you push, let's say you push to the left, I think was blue, and then to the right was yellow, and it'll just kind of flash. Well, sometimes in some of the sequences, you couldn't see the colors that well. They weren't, like, vibrant enough, and I and I would miss some of the sequence because, you know, I would have missed one of the colors. I don't know. Did you find that to be a problem as well? Yeah, I think I think you specifically mentioned the, the blue, and mm-hmm. I think it was more of a problem in, like, the scenes where you were outside and there were snowy parts because the blue was kind of mm-hmm. light and it's on top of the white snow so it's mm-hmm. it didn't show up very well and yeah um the those scenes i really felt like a lot of them dr- were drug on uh too long like mm-hmm. it's just you know just you would go on for like a few minutes just having to mimic these uh these analog stick uh qtes Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was kind of conflicting with the with the game because they were a lot of times they would play these over the top action scenes, and I and you can't even watch them because you're too busy trying to do the QTE and pay attention to the prompts. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's just like yeah this this free flowing like sort of movie sequence, if you will, like this as they call it, like this interactive film that you're supposed to be watching, and you can't watch it because you're 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 trying to pay too much attention to. Um, you know, uh, the QTE yeah. and what the sequence is so that you don't fail. Um, yeah, I, I do. I think that was a, a sort of rather unfortunate way that this game developed. Um, it, it would have been nice to just to do your sequence, and then after you did your sequence, got to watch a portion of the movie, and then do the same thing. And, and this happened a few times. Um, this was kind of interwoven into the game. I know like the uh, there was the autopsy scene near the beginning of the game, where that was sort of paused and you would do your thing and then, you know, and then it would kind of move on or continue, um, you know, if you, if you passed. Um, but like you said, there were, there were several scenes, um, that were sort of 
you know, like film, and there's no way you could watch it and and perform at the same time. Yeah, and this game has action scenes that are like very much inspired by movies like mm-hmm. The Matrix and maybe even Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, things like that. Absolutely. And like like I said, you just can't watch them because you no. have to you have to pay attention to the button prompts. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're actually they're done well, like you said. I mean, they are. They're kind of cool, you know. Yeah. Like, like you said, Matrix scenes. Um, it, it is pretty cool. There's some really fascinating and good action sequences, um, you know, on this game. So, which is just sort of odd that they there are action sequences, but that you know that sort of plays in because it, it sort of comes abruptly you know what i mean during the middle of the game mm-hmm. um but then you kind of find out why these things are happening later um and you know yeah. there's an explanation for it so and yeah. i guess to um i mentioned heavy rain here a little bit I, heavy rain i feel like they did this sort of thing much better in heavy rain okay um the the qtes are much more contextual and they make more mm-hmm. sense um for example, like it might be a, if there's like a fight scene, somebody's about to hit you, you might press like square or something to sort of mm-hmm. dodge or maybe block their attack. And it's not just this random analog stick pressing, there's you know, much more contextual button prompts. Yeah, and that's that's my big problem with it um, in this game is the lack of variety. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, you're using the analog sticks, you're doing that a lot, that same sort of sequencing with the analog sticks, and then you're using the L and R, L1 and R1 buttons, but yeah. you, it's it's PlayStation 2 controller or an Xbox controller. You know, there are so many more buttons that could have been utilized. Yeah, and, and the face buttons aren't utilized at all for the QTEs, not, no. at least not that I remember. No, they're um, not. So, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder why they... Why they didn't uh, utilize that at all? Yeah, and and it just it just makes for more a more simplistic sort of I, I hate to say I don't want to use the word boring. It's not a boring game because I, I think that the the plot and of of the game is is amazing and and really keeps you into the game and um, you know really going. But I think I, I did get a little sort of bored, um, you know, with the with the quick time event sequences in this game so and they, they would really like i said that they, they would drag on very long sometimes just forcing you to pay very close attention to this qte and if you I, I forget how punishing it was but if you like screwed up a few times i think you'd have to replay the entire sequence yeah and some of these yeah. sequences went on for like a few minutes i think yeah uh, just like almost nearly constant uh you know qtes but yeah so. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that for a minute. If you did fail, let's say you did fail some of these QTs, some of them there would be no. It, it almost seemingly there would be no consequence for failing. I, I don't know. I don't. I and and then others, um, you know, it would just it would end your game if you failed. Um, so I, I just sometimes I was a little confused with that. I didn't know. You know, okay, well maybe it changed my story a little bit. Um, you know, if I didn't do this perfectly, is it, you know, if I did it perfectly, would the story change? I don't know. You know, I've only played the game through one time. Yeah. I think it depends on which scenes you're talking about. Like you mentioned the autopsy scene. Mm -hmm. Um, if you definitely there, when you get the QTEs correct there, I think it just gives you like a little more evidence or something. Sure. Um, I don't think you'll get a game over for actually failing any of those, but for right. the action sequences, those are where you can get game overs. And there, I don't know if you noticed, but in the top left, there's like these little circles 
and those mm-hmm. are those are almost like yep. hit points i guess um, yeah like yeah if, like if you fail once it'll like take away one of those and if you lose all those and then you get a game over absolutely yep yep i did notice that I think I depleted them the first time with the uh, uh, the, the bugs in the office, which was just, I, I wasn't ready for that much uh, analog stick action at the time. I don't think there was a sequence yeah. that was that uh, intense up to that point. So that was sort of like the, the first big intense sequence. I think I think I ended up screwing up in the uh, the parking lot where the cars are trying to run you over. <laughs> that's where that's where I messed up. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of toward near the end of the game, though. It's fairly late, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the good things I guess about the game is the, and and I'm trying to guess decide if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but the auto save function. It seems like even if you did die, you were put right back, almost exactly where you died, or right before the sequence started, which was kind of nice. I mean, you know, it, it allowed you to, like, not have to go through so much of the, um, you know, watch some of the movie sequences over and over again, but at the same time, um, most of the sequences, you know, you would end up beating, like, within, at least, you know, no more than three tries, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, w- once you knew things were coming... It, it was, you know, the, the element of surprise was gone. So um, you knew things were sort of coming and, and you could usually finish a sequence. Um, so how did you feel about autosave? I mean, did you think that was sort of an appropriate um, option for this game? Or um, was it a little kind of, um, I guess, sort of game-breaking for it? I personally liked it because I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really don't like getting set back uh, too far when I when I end up getting the game over, I pretty much like to pick up right where, where I failed the first time and, uh, mm-hmm. get back to it and hopefully get through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely get that. Um, I, I kind of felt the same way. Um, you know, as far as that was concerned, it is nice just to kind of get back into the action and, you know, not have to start all over, you know, watch certain sequences again and again and again. So, you know, it, it was, it was kind of nice. Um, but it, it in another sense, it sort of defeated the purpose of having like the sort of the life bar. Do you know what I mean? So you know, if if you know, if if you lost your life, then you could just kind of start all over again. So what was the point of sort of building up this um, this life bar that you get throughout the game? You know, and and you, you get that by finding certain things or making certain choices in the game. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering, you know, there. are you can be at certain points in the game and only have like one, one of those little segments or you mm-hmm. know, like one health, if you want to think of it that way. Sure. And you might have to use that entire, that might, that might be all you get for like an entire sequence. And some of these sure. sequences can, like we say, go on for very, a very long amount of time. They can be very <laughs> difficult. And trying to do that yeah. whole thing without failing is, uh, they're not, it's not always easy. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And you can kind of get stuck with that autosave too, you yeah. know, because you can't go back. You know, it'd be nice, um, you know, if, if you start out, let's say, with like three to four, like, you know, f- available failures, and then you have to go back down to one, it makes the game harder, yeah. you know, and you can't, yeah. you can't reach that save spot again. So, yeah, that does make it a little bit tough. So with this game also, one of the components of the gameplay is this... Um, object interaction and I think you mentioned something about it kind of goes back to sort of those early days of um, 
um, like games like um, like sort of like Shadowgate or uh, Deja Vu, you know, where you can yeah, like interact the with old, the objects, point and click. Yeah, the old adventure games. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was kind of cool, and it played to the story very well. Like, for instance, if we were looking at the first sequence, there are a few things that you can do in the first room. One is to, um, you know, drag the body uh, into the stall, uh, hide the weapon, hide the murder weapon. You can do that. Um, and uh, it seems like this sort of like plays into your character and something we haven't mentioned yet is the um, the depression meter that your characters have, right? That's a yeah. that's another uh, way that you can game over. Do you want to sort of talk about the depression meter and how that kind of works? Yeah, so you have this meter that's sort of representing your mood in the game, I guess. It's on a scale of 0 to 100, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, and various things you do in the game or things that happen to you can affect that meter and cause it to rise and fall. So, for example, um, like the like the first sequence in the game in, in the bathroom, like every time Lucas does something to sort of cover up the the murder that just happened, yes. he, the the meter rises and you know it, mm-hmm. it raises his mood a little bit. So, like hiding the murder weapon, hiding the body, cleaning up the blood in the, in the floor, mm-hmm. and um, you know there's certain instances where I know there was like uh, where one of the detectives can will like question Lucas in his office mm-hmm. about the murder. They they don't know that he's the murderer yet, but that was one where I talked about like the the like conflicting uh, gameplay elements going on here, right? Because all this evidence that I had found like uh, against Lucas um, and sort of implicating him as the murderer, they were now turning mm-hmm. it against me and causing that depression meter to. <laughs> get really low right. and you get a game over if you hit zero um, absolutely like either it'll, it'll play a little scene where like lucas either commits suicide or he turns himself into the police something like that yeah and I actually did get a game over that way because after that interrogation scene mm-hmm. or it's not really an interrogation but they're where they're questioning him about these different clues that they found throughout the game mm-hmm. i think the next scene was where we didn't really talk about this yet but where he uh goes to Agatha's house and she's been murdered. Yes. yes. And I examined the body and it lowers yes, your mood by 30. <laughs> and I got a game over and I'm like, and I'm like, the game's punishing me for like exploring and looking at, you know, my environment. Cause yeah, I'm kind of, when I play games, I like to kind of explore everything and I want to interact with everything. So yeah. I see this dead body on the floor. I'm going to, you know, check it out. And I got a game over for doing that. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's kind of a conflicting thing. Yeah, that that happened to me too, and I think I looked. I, I think I had to play that scene five or six times because I kept looking at her body, yeah. and I couldn't figure out why. Like I was getting the game over. I'm like, oh. surely, like I can check out this body, and then it finally hit me. I'm like, oh, my depression meter is is going all the way down, so I can't yeah. look at this body, um, and and check it out. So. I was like, "Am I going to miss something in the game because of this? You know, what's going to happen?" Yeah, but the first, yeah, it feels like, you know, if you're actually watching a movie and we're playing mm-hmm. out, obviously he would examine the body. Sure, but it's like you're in this situation and now. You just you can't do it because, you know, you get a game over now, and you know it's kind of this little little bit of a wonky choice they yeah. made, a little gameplay yeah. element that doesn't quite fit, and it, I'm pretty sure this element doesn't make a return in Heavy Rain. Um, yeah, so. and 
Yeah, and there's other things that happen too. Like I, I remember like after the murder, after you go back to your apartment, and like there's a newspaper stuffed under your door, and I went over like, oh, let me pick this up. <laughs> oh, depression minus twenty. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just like, really? I mean, like, how could I have known? I mean, I understand if I would have made some choice in the game, like during a conversation, that was a very poor choice that would have made you know obviously poor choice and made like my depression meter go down. But just to interact with an object randomly. And to, uh, you know, have that affect you so much. I'm like, oh, great. I picked up the paper, negative 20. Now I have to go take a piss and to gain some yeah. of my confidence back. <laughs> yeah. There, and um, it, I, there was like an instance where I, I would turn the, my, my meter was already very low. And I, I just, like I said, I like to interact with everything when I play these sorts of games. So uh-huh. I turn the TV on. And almost every time you turn the TV on, they'll talk about the murder. And that lowers yeah. his his depression meter even more so sure like right after i turned the tv on i was like okay i better just turn it off because i know something's going to come on it's going to lower my meter even more so i'm not even gonna not even gonna watch it can i just change the channel to cartoons I but mean, come it's, on. it's kind of funny it seems like some of the things are like arbitrary that affect like you said you can get, just go to the bathroom and that'll raise your meter by like 10 or something <laughs> yeah but, uh, yeah lay down you know yeah i'll tell you something funny that happened to me one time and i don't want to mention this before i forget about it um like one of the first things you can do in the game you've got this like horrible headache and <laughs> you, can, you can take this medicine yeah and then i went around to like uh, one of the cabinets and you know i'm just like pulling like food out you know mm-hmm. to raise my mood and I pull out a bottle of alcohol and I drink it. It's like, you shouldn't have taken medicine and drank alcohol. You died. Yeah. I'm like, really? It's like wow. the, the bottle of pills. Uh, he actually, when he, before he takes them, he actually says, do not take with alcohol or something like that. And uh, I, th- I think I think everybody does that when they play this game the first time. I, I've played this game before, actually, when it first came okay. out. So I, I knew not to do that this time. But, uh, I think everybody does that at least once. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, um, yeah, tempting the fates for sure. <laughs> so, um, something else in the game we we talked about object interaction, but you also interact with other characters in the game, and you have these sort of conversation choices. Um, and I just kind of wanted to talk about that for a minute and, and get uh, you know our impression on kind of conversation choices. It's to me, it's very odd. You have this sort of you'll be getting a conversation. Someone will like. Like you'll be interrogating someone or talking to someone, and it'll there's this sort of like timed meter that runs across the top, and you have so much time to select your choice of how you want to direct the conversation, and you do that by moving your analog stick, um, your right analog stick, if I remember correctly, and your choices are sort of vague. They're one word choices, right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you might choose one thing thinking it's going to say something and then ends up saying something else yeah i I feel like i'm screwing up the sat all over again (laughs) you know because because like my brain like works sort of on a different level sometimes than what people are you know this is what i this is what they want but i'm thinking like out in left field something else you know and then i select and i'm like oh that was a horrible choice that had nothing to do with what i thought it had to do with right yeah yeah that that happened to me a few times as well yeah Um, yeah so it's and it's kind of I guess it kind of goes back to again maybe like the adventure games and uh, maybe RPGs with like branching dialogue where you'll mm-hmm. select one choice and that sort of opens up these other choices. But one thing, what like when I play like RPGs and stuff, I like to select like like an Elder Scrolls game for example. I like to mm-hmm. select every different 
dialogue option that's available, but sure. you can't you can't do that in this game because no, no. it's like you only get like maybe three or four um, choices when talking to a character, and then that's it. You, you're not able to choose all the different options. Sure. And I guess it ties more into the whole like investigation aspect, and and that you'll if you choose the right options, you'll get more evidence, more clues, and um, yeah. Yeah, it just always more story. Yeah, it, it always it always kind of bugged me that I couldn't choose all the options. <laughs> yeah, I did feel like in the in the game, like with the plot and stuff in the story, I felt like it was kind of jumpy at times, and like I'm like, wait, did I miss something in the plot? You know, um, and I, and I would sort of have to figure it out what was going on, and I and I feel like this could have something to do with choices that I made in these conversations. Does that make sense? Yeah, like I don't remember feeling that way, but I, I think, I mean, I, I think absolutely. If you you know choose a lot of quote unquote wrong uh, choices, yeah. um, then, then maybe you could end up missing out on something and, and not all quite tie together, right? Right, and it made sense later. It would come back into context later, yeah. and I could piece it together for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I never felt like I I didn't understand the entire plot of this. Mm-hmm of this story it's really w- well written and well done and we'll talk about that in a second but i i did feel like that i had to like play catch up because there might have been something that i didn't know earlier in the game so um um but but anyway you know there was that um we'd mentioned some of the movement controls and stuff and there's um, in the game, there's climbing. There's different ways you have to move the analog stick. It took me forever to figure out how to climb a fence, just like in the movement, because you have to go oh, out and around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so frustrating because because it you hadn't had to do anything like that in anywhere in the game yet. Yeah, it was a very awkward movement. Even when you know how to do it, you'll still kind of screw it up just because it, it's an awkward movement and you you don't really it's kind of difficult to move the analog stick in that way without, you know, messing up. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, when I, I actually played this game on PC and okay. uh, I, I used a controller, an Xbox 360 controller when I played it. But when okay. I, when I first started up and tried to play it, I tried to use a mouse and keyboard. Oh my gosh. And you have to make that movement, that climbing movement with a mouse. Yes. Oh, and uh, it, it didn't take long for me to realize that this wasn't working out. That's when I started using a controller. But uh, yeah, uh, it's just uh, if, if you think that sort of stuff's bad on the analog stick, try it with a mouse. Yeah, yeah. So you you must have played. Um, so you played the updated version, huh? The yeah, HD remaster. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We should mention. I mean, this game came out for Xbox and PS2, but there was also an HD remaster. Actually, uh, beginning of this year, January 2015, um, you know, for PC and even iOS. So that's interesting that uh, they chose to go with the uh, the mouse. Gosh, that would be awful. It would be like be like trying to play Golden Axe on your PC, <laughs> right, Floyd? <laughs> and uh, uh, it's even worse with like the 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 QTEs, like the Simon Says uh, things, because you have to control you control the um the left one with your WASD keys, which is your typical, oh, yes. move, typical movement yes. keys. And that's not that bad. But, and the uh, other with your arrows, maybe? You could either yeah. use the arrows or you could, you know, if you're, you're using the mouse when you're playing the game, so you have the option of either holding in the left mouse button and, uh-huh. then, and then moving the mouse in the appropriate direction. Wow. Or just, I guess, shifting your hand, to, both hands to the keyboard and doing it that way. And 
I didn't think either one was going to work well. So, it, yeah, like I said, it didn't yeah. take me long to decide I needed to plug in a controller and make that work. <laughs> and then you have to, like, make sure your hands are in the right position on the keyboard. Yeah, for, like, get ready. Yeah, for, <laughs> we'll get yeah ready fortunately, the, uh, yeah, fortunately <laughs> the game pops up, on, it pops up on the screen and says, get ready, which is right. more than some games do when it comes to QTEs. They just, they just throw them at you. And then, you know, if you're not yeah. ready and too bad, you get a game over. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that get ready thing can be quick, too. Yeah, I mean, it's not up very long before those button prompts start uh, popping up, but... Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, a certain sniper at the end of the game. That one's a pretty quick one, so... Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, some other things about the game, and and one of the things I really liked about the game, I feel like we're talking, you know, we're talking about this game, we're being a little harsh on the controls, and we've been on the controls for a while, so there there are great things about this game. I, I don't want to sound, like, overly negative about it. It's a good game. Um, one of the things I really liked was the uh, the use of split screen on this game. I thought it was really cool. It gave it that more sort of film quality, if you will. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, it wasn't always easy to move sometimes or figure out how you're moving. I'm, I'm thinking mainly about the uh, um, the graveyard scene. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was maybe the f- first graveyard scene where you're going to meet your brother Marcus um that that was a little tough moving around that graveyard because you've got a a smaller screen and you're kind of looking off and have these screens that are like kind of focusing in other directions you know what I'm referring to yeah yeah um I don't really remember specifically my thoughts on it with like the graveyard scene um I I know there were certain instances where they did like the split screen with like Mm -hmm. um I'm trying to think of a specific moment, but I know there were times where like Lucas was maybe in his apartment or in some other, like, mm-hmm. like I think there's one part where he's in like a crummy hotel or something. And oh, you yeah, see, yeah, you yeah. see like the cops are looking for him and he's trying yeah. to like hide or do something. And so it's kind of a good way to like ease the, the tension up. Cause you know, they're like, cl- yeah. you can see, actually see them closing in on you. Uh-huh. Um, I thought that was a really cool effect. Yeah, yeah, I really did like it. I mean, overall, I liked it. There were, I did have some movement problems sometimes, and of course, it minimized your play screen. Uh, where yeah, you could run around, yeah. you couldn't see as much, and that was, you know, that was sort of an issue. But I think overall, it was a, it was a really worthwhile choice, and like you said, really like uh, uh, hit the gas on the intensity, you know, of the yeah, game, yeah, um, and really, um, you know, just gave it more of that interactive movie feel, which I did like. But I did want to mention that. Um, part of the game okay so we'll move on from the controls and we'll talk a little bit about the plot in detail um as we mentioned you know we um at the um beginning of the cast that sort of the major plot is you're you're looking um for these um for the reason that you've committed these murders um and um you sort of come to find out that um, you're being controlled by force <laughs> that is using you as sort of a vessel to commit these murders and to um, they are looking for this child um, who is known as the indigo child who um, I guess only comes like once every so many years or I, I can't quite remember that sort of the details of that plot but it it has something to do with the Mayans and being able to use other people as a vessel to look through and uh, commit certain acts, right? Yeah, yeah. And this child basically um, 
knows some sort of all-powerful sort of secret, and by this child whispering it to the person who finds them, um, I guess it sort of bends the world to their will, if you if you will. <laughs> right? I always like to imagine when you see scenes like this that <laughs> she's just whispering something like, nonsensical just something completely idiotic right. <laughs> just right the fish fillet is on selling <laughs> exactly this week <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah it's it it gets really intense i mean the game becomes like um overwhelmingly intense and i don't know i how did you feel i know this is your second time playing the game so mm-hmm. Uh, you you knew what the plot was this time. Do you do you remember how you felt the first time you were playing the game? Are there any kind of uh, early uh, guesses that you had to what was going on in this game? Because let's let's face it, the ending becomes sort of far fetched. Yeah, right? it gets gets really wild. And that, that's actually a big criticism of this game is how how much the story just sort of goes off the deep end and starts introducing all these very strange concepts and things. Um. I actually didn't remember most of the story. I, I mean, I played it like ten years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, playing it now, I really didn't remember all the uh, all the the details of what happens. But I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, and I I kind of always just take a story at face value, and I don't really sure. uh, criticize it too much, unless it's like mm-hmm. really bad. Uh, like just, yeah, but this one I, I didn't mind it. Um, I do think some of the stuff it did was a little silly, and like like sure. you said, trying to see some of that stuff coming, it's they introduce so many far-fetched things. I don't see how anybody could see it coming. Uh, right. We start talking about like the orange clan and the, the AI and the purple clan and yeah, all this weird stuff that that you, purple you, clan you, thing just kind of came out of nowhere. It, yeah, it, it really did. <laughs> and then it's it went like, the- <laughs> I mean, it was just like, you just talked to one character. And he's like, Oh, we f- just found out there's another clan, you know? And it's like, okay, I guess there's another clan. Okay. <laughs> and then it went into like this complete like conspiracy theory about the orange clan controls like one sect of society, oh, like right. government, and then yeah. the purple clan controls all the internet. <laughs> and uh um yeah, man, it, it just uh yeah, it, it it got kind of got kind of bizarre in that way. But these are like you know, the funny thing, these are like real sort of conspiracy theories you know, that, that are, have been proposed by, uh, uh, people. Uh, but it was just sort of odd that they worked that somehow into the apocalypse in the Mayans. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's very, it's very strange. <laughs> it, and it's strange and complex, but I never felt myself sort of waning away from the plot. I mean, I thought it was pretty solid. Is that, is that strange that I feel that way? I mean, I mean no, I, I, I I really pretty much feel the same way. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, it gets it gets pretty far fetched, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, um, dug it. But a lot of people, I mean, you read like reviews and you know, discussions on this game. A lot of people really, really trash the game for how uh, the, the direction the story went towards yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you have to sort of just appreciate it for what it is. You know what you yeah. have, and you know not try to dig too deep or, or find too many like holes. Because I mean, if you're looking for plot holes. Yeah, I mean they're there. I mean there's some things that that I would say about the game that really doesn't work. Um, one of the things that I that I've pointed out is the the sort of the the love stories throughout the game. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I mean, yeah, 
it's it's sort of bizarre. I mean, like now you know, I I I, I did like the Tyler, um, who's the who's one of the detectives. He and his girlfriend Sam Malone. I I did like that story. Yeah, that that was fine. It seemed very realistic. Wow. It se- sounded very believable. You know, sort of this this kid who grew up as like a street tough who wanted to make the world right, make the place better for other people, you know, and she worried about him. And, you know, these are sort of real life situations, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you have (laughs) the Tiffany Lucas story, the recently, like, split couple um, who, you know, Lucas's life is sort of in shambles. She's left him and then... They sort of reconnect. She dies, and then all of a sudden, the detective who is chasing <laughs> Lucas jumps into the scene as yeah. like his new girlfriend. It's just it's bizarre. That was, yeah, that was like there's like one scene where she's just like Lucas, I love you, and I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> You've known her for like five minutes, <laughs> right? You think he's murdered people? You don't know if you believe him or not, but now you love him. All right. Right. Probably, probably just yeah. like she, she was like, I think she was just so obsessed with the case and finding the the murderer that she, sure that that must have uh, tied into it somehow. Either that, or she got trapped in a closet somewhere and he saved her. I mean, that's the only thing I can <laughs> think of. She's so claustrophobic. Oh. Claustrophobia, like oh, don't get me started about that. Like becoming part of the story. Jeez, <laughs> oh, but but it does it does sort of lend itself to that whole idea of like. There are a lot of scenes in this story that are there's there's a lot of additional things thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the game's broken up into different scenes, right? I mean, you know, you can and and a lot of times you you get to choose which scene you want to go to, right? It'll either be a yeah. Lucas scene, a Carla scene, or a Tyler scene. Um, and um, you you play through this scene and. There are some, like, there's a scene where Carla and Tyler are working out in the mm-hmm. gym. Nothing to do with the plot. No right. plot points revealed or anything. Uh, there's a scene where you have to play basketball. That know. was that was integral to the, to the plot. Cause you you think had to, so? You had to find out um, if, if he was going to pay his debt to the other guy or not. It was very important. Is it? Does it matter? Not really. I'm being sarcastic. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, really? I was like, because I beat that guy. I was like, what happens if I would have lost? I mean, would anything <laughs> like significant happen if I lost that basketball uh, <laughs> game? I, I'm just wondering. I mean, would I get a game over? Would you know? Would that affect the outcome at the end of the game? I don't know. That's you know, that's kind of one of the odd things about this game. I feel like I'm doing a lot of things that are affecting the outcome. When I was playing, I was so nervous playing it because I was like, will this affect the outcome or, or as far as yeah. what I get? But when you get down to it, that's not really the case. I mean, the ending you get is sort of decided at the end of the game, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those type of things where I guess they sort of talk about all the choices you can make through the game and it impacting mm-hmm. the story. But it, it's one of those games where it all just kind of comes down to the final choice you make at the end which uh mm-hmm. i don't know kind of kind of feels like a, a cop out sometimes when they sort of stress all the choices you can make in during the course of the game and then it doesn't really matter at the end right um but yeah you get you do get three choices at the end that, uh effect gives you three different endings okay okay and uh, I- i'm sure that this time that you got the good ending because you knew what you were doing right 
Am I guessing correctly? Yeah. Or what is considered yeah. the good ending, quote unquote? Yeah. Okay. How about the first time you played the game? What ending did you get? I really don't remember. Um, I don't Jeez, remember. Steven, what good no. are you? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a long time ago. I, <laughs> back in 2005, I wasn't thinking I need to remember which ending I got. In, in the you don't know if the scene. Orange Clan or the Purple Clan won? I mean, well, come on. Could we not pick two better colors? It's not snowing outside, so <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming the Purple Clan didn't win. <laughs> yeah. So there are more multiple endings, like you said. There's there's uh, the first one where Lucas defeats the. There's there's a final battle, and you have to fight first of all the Oracle, which is basically the Orange Clan, and then the AI appears, the Purple Clan, and if you defeat both of them, um, basically humanity wins. You basically and um, you basically get the same ending, sort of. I mean, the same like future of Carla and Lucas. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's just in a different like, in a different way. Like if they win, they've yeah. thwarted off evil. Like you know, if the Orange Clan wins, everything just sort of, from what I understand, I didn't get this ending. Sort of just goes back to normal, and the Orange Clan has this secret that they could use maybe at a later date. Right? There's yeah. A, there's a, I'm thinking. Threat. I'm thinking like the Orange Clan is just sort of like biding their time. I guess. Right. And eventually. Lucas, mm-hmm. I watched the other endings on YouTube, and I think Lucas yeah, says that he he still sees like through the eyes of the Oracle, and I think he kind of knows that they're plotting something. And right, um, right, right, right. But you, you don't know what that is. And but yeah, after if if that if you get that ending, then everything sort of goes back to normal, and everybody starts just leaves it leads their normal lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then I guess in the other ending, if the AI wins, which is what happened to me, the Purple Clan <laughs> won. Um, which that's a, that's a tough sequence because again it's that um, L one R one button mashing and you just have to mash them fast and I, I just can't do that fast enough it just it just crushes my fingers but hmm. um, if if the AI wins then um, basically the world turns cold and you know all humanity um, you know has to go underground with the invisibles or the homeless people who are watching everything everyone does right. Yeah. Um, and, um, you have the sense of sort of hope, um, uh, being in the child of, um, Lucas and Carla, you know, it's very made. much, very much like a Terminator scenario where the machines <laughs> have taken over. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. It's just, that was, that yeah. was, that was the first thing I thought of when I was watching that ending. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Terminator. Exactly. So, but yeah, um. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I think you know, even getting the purple ending, I was, I was, I I didn't realize at the time that there were multiple endings. I thought there probably were, um, but I even having the purple ending, which is supposedly the bad ending, um, I I didn't think it was a bad ending. I mean, I you know, I, I'm one of these kind of guys that will, I'll watch a film. When when I watch films, I don't like the sort of you know rainbows and puppies endings on things. I like something mm-hmm. that kind of you, you know makes you think. Like after the film's over, and so I felt like that ending, um, you know, sort of did that. And I didn't feel like it was a you know like a really unhappy ending because it left that sort of idea of hope and maybe the possibility of a sequel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I wasn't necessarily like. Th- thrown off or upset with that ending some people might be i don't know 
Yeah, again, like I said, I sort of just take this sort of thing for what it is. I, di- I didn't really think they were particularly good endings, but I didn't hate them either. Right. Um, just sort of, for me, it just kind of is what it is when it comes to this sort of thing. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm like you. I'm just kind of, I, I think I felt like the entire game I was working toward the best ending I could possibly get. And at the end, it just came down to like a final fight as far as deciding mm-hmm. what that ending was going to be. And I, yeah. I think that was the most disappointing thing about the plot in the game, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and for me, sort of crushes the replayability. I mean, mm-hmm. what's the reason I have to go back when I can just play that last scene over and over and see all three <laughs> endings, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Not much of a replayability uh, factor because of that. Well, I think we've talked a little bit or enough about the plot. Um, how about the um, the graphics, the music? Um, how do we feel about that? Um, it, I guess it's kind of hard to say. You know, it's a game that came out in two thousand five, so I'm trying to base it on graphics for around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the only fair thing to do, really. Um, and I think, for, I guess, for that time, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um. It's probably not the best. I actually played Resident Evil 4 pretty recently, which also came out in 2005, and I think the graphics were a little better in that game. But yeah. uh, they were they were still uh, pretty good in Indigo Prophecy, and uh, you know, I w- it's nothing I would complain about. Yeah, the motion capture and everything I thought looked pretty good. I mean, it um, you know it, it's fluid. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything moves as sort of a body should move, and so I thought it looked pretty good. Um, you know, especially for the time it came out. You know, I mean, of course, there's stuff that looks a lot better now, but... Yeah, it's um, not really fair to compare this game against, uh, you know, Metal Gear Solid Five or something. No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Which I haven't seen yet, but I hear is a fantastic game. Um, you know, I know uh, Sean's Sean, been raving yeah, about Sean's it. Yeah, Sean's gonna... I'm sure he's gonna bring it up on Metal Gear Solid, so he's probably... Anybody listening, they probably already heard all about it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, um... Uh, there was some licensed music in this game, um, which, you know, the soundtrack, not bad. I didn't think so. There's a little, little Teddy Pendergrass in there, too. That was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> when the mood when the mood struck. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I didn't really recognize the licensed music. I mean, I knew, yeah. I knew there was licensed music. I just not, wasn't stuff I had heard before. Yeah. And, and I can't recall the name of the band. I'm sorry. This should have been in my notes. Um but um, there, there was one band that was used for majority of the music. Um, yeah, and, um, it's, uh, Theory of a Dead Man. Right, right. So they used so much of their music. I was kind of wondering, you know, was this a, um, was this an album of theirs? Music, just music, random music of theirs, or was this maybe just the score of the game? So um, I'm thinking probably maybe was more of the score of the game, uh, with with that much music, you know, being used. Mm-hmm. But uh, but um, yeah, I know the the Teddy Pendergrass song. No, no, I've I've definitely heard that song before, which was which was kind of awesome when I heard it. <laughs> so so, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was adequate. You know, I didn't think it was anything outstanding. The music in the game, but I thought it fit. You know, I thought it fit mm-hmm. the story well, and, um, and you know, it was really good. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I would go out and buy the CD, but uh, you know it. It, it worked well with the game, you know, what I heard. So Yeah, I liked, I did like a good bit of the original music in the game. Um, mm-hmm. It 
I mean, not, not the best that I've ever heard, but it, it kind of fit. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was very kind of sad and dreary sounding. Um, so it, I feel like it really worked very well. Um, but yeah, it was uh, no real complaints there either. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how about voice acting? I thought, you know, I mean, no complaints from me there either. I thought the voice acting was pretty good in this game. You know, yeah, didn't didn't seem contrived. It seemed to, all the characters seemed to fit. I mean, the voices that were you know given to each character. Yeah, most of them I think were pretty good. I think um, there might have been a few minor characters that had some kind of weird sounding voices. I don't really remember. I just I think yeah. maybe some some of the some of the minor character police officers might have had some kind of strange voices but uh, <laughs> like for the, the guy most you part, played basketball against yeah yeah <laughs> for the most part it was it was pretty good though yeah i agree it was probably it may have been the standard in 2005 possibly um <laughs> well i think we've covered most of the game and you know um just want to get some you know final thoughts about the game sort of overall impressions, um, you know, maybe how we would probably rate this game. I know a lot of our listeners like us to sort of rate the games and where we would, you know, throw it on a scale of like 1 to 10. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's, I guess it's kind of a shame, like, thinking back on what the stuff we've said, because I think we've mostly kind of said a lot of negative things about this game, mm-hmm. but it really is a, a good game, and I think it's a game yeah. that uh, a lot of people should play. Um you know, I, I really enjoyed it. If I had to rate it, I'd, I'd probably give it about a seven just, you know, mm-hmm. because of the flaws that it does have, you know, with some of the awkward controls and things, but there's some really cool moments some really cool scenes. And, um, like you said, you have that whole like conflicting, uh, dichotomy of controlling Lucas and the detectives that are hunting him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really get that with like any of the games that I can think of at least. Um, yeah, that's just my kind of my thoughts on it. Okay, is this a game that you would recommend to someone who was, um, you know, like a fan of Heavy Rain or uh, Beyond Two Souls? Yeah, because I mean, it's it's still basically the same style of game. I think those games are much improved, but I, mm-hmm. I think um, it's still nice to kind of go back and see the 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 roots of kind of where the whole interactive film uh, genre started. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, I would definitely recommend this game, to, especially if they're a fan of Quantic Dreams' other games. Yeah, and I think this game would be like a little easier to go back to. I mean, they're very similar. Um, and and again, I haven't played the um, the newer games, but I would think it would be more similar than say like um, playing like Bioshock and then trying to go back to System Shock like two, you know, or something like that, you know. Uh, um, you know, sort of predecessor sort of games like that. Don't you think so? Um, maybe. I don't know. I kind of, I remember noticing a lot of similarities between System Shock 2 and Bioshock. And yeah. you know, it's actually, re- I had played Bioshock before I played System Shock 2. So I thought it was really cool to kind of go back and see the roots of sure. where Bioshock started. But um, this might be a little bit easier transition I, as far as gameplay wise, right? Maybe. No? I would maybe kind of liken it about the same. Okay. Because, I mean, when I say that Heavy Rain improved on a lot of these things, I mean, they, they really improved a lot of it. It's not nearly as okay. awkward as Indigo Prophecy is. Um, so, I, I think it might be about the same jump, honestly. Okay. 
Okay. Which I could, could be wrong. It's been a while since I played Heavy Rain, so maybe it's not as improved as I remember it. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I would, I would highly recommend it for somebody to, you know, go back and check this one out. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I completely agree with like your assessment of the game. And again, you know, want to reiterate what you said about, you know, I, I feel like a, a lot of this review, and it's something we talked about before the call, um, was that this is this is a hard game to, for us to like talk about, and and the reason is is because it is like a movie. We you had to do this sort of almost like almost like a movie review. You know, we we can't like really get into too many elements of gameplay because there's not a lot of elements of gameplay. You know, it's mainly QTEs. So. Um, you know, in that regard, it's, you know, when you have negative things with the sort of the controls and the gameplay, and, and they're not overly negative, just slightly negative things, it, it, it made our conversation seem like this was not a great game. This is a great game. Um, it, it's a strong plot. It's a lot of fun to play. It keeps you really immersed. The characters are well-developed. They're fun. Um, you know, you're probably going to laugh a few times. I mean, Tyler's a pretty funny character and the way he deals with, um, you know, way he talks and, and deals with people is kind of fun. Um, and you know, there's a very deep plot that you have to sort of unravel and it's, it's very intense at times. Um, so, so I definitely agree, you know, with, with your overall impression of the game, you know, I, I too would be somewhere in the, like the six and a half to seven range, you know, out of 10. Um, I, again, you know, it, for those of who know me, I mean, I don't, I don't think any game is perfect. I would never give a game a 10. Um, so that, that's a very, uh, high mark for this game for me. And I, I think it's, it's worth anyone's time. Um, I think right now the game can be found anywhere from like eight to 12 bucks. Is that, is that right? Is that what you would say for, uh, you know, PlayStation 2, Xbox? Um, probably. I think that sounds yeah. about right. I haven't really checked lately, but it's yeah, probably about yeah. right. Not a very expensive game, and I think definitely worth someone's time. So, um, and I know I, throw, I threw this out there a few times, but, um, you know, this is the sort of game that almost demands a sequel. Um, I don't know if the endings, being there, being multiple endings, set it up very well for a sequel, but it almost feels like this is the kind of game that deserves it, right? Um, I don't think I ever really felt like, personally, that this game needed a direct okay. sequel. I mean, you can kind of consider games like Heavy Rain to be like a spiritual successor. Sure. Um, and I think, I think in terms of wanting a sequel for this game, I would mostly just want them to kind of continue the, um, the the style of the game like this sort of genre which is what quantic dream has done in recent years mm-hmm. i kind of feel like this depending on the ending you get i think this the story was wrapped up pretty well i mean if you get like sure. the good ending um then i think it's wrapped up pretty well i mean if you get one of the lesser endings then uh you know it's it kind of does leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger mm-hmm. um so you might want to know what happens I guess it really depends on which ending you consider you consider the canon ending. Sure. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I I mean I could see the only way I could see a direct sequel happening for this game is if they went with the Orange Clan winning. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe like they they mentioned that Lucas's child is has is gonna have like the same powers he does. So maybe mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it could be like twenty or thirty years later. Yeah. Um. You know, kind of a similar scenario happens, and um, you know, the story plays out from that angle. But yeah, which that that's mentioned about the child in all three endings. So they yeah. they still could do something with that, but you know. How would you go from it? Would you go from the Arctic, you know, to the uprising out of the Arctic, or would you, well, you know, I guess you know, figuring out what happens with the Orange Clan, or yeah, you know. I would, yeah, if I was gonna make a direct <laughs> sequel, I'd go with like the Orange Clan uh, winning. Yeah. Like, I feel like with the Purple Clan, like I said, it feels like a very much like a Terminator scenario. So I, sure. I feel like it was just gonna be like a third person shooter <laughs> if they yeah. went with that uh, ending. <laughs> Which wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> well, well, if it, if it's good, then yeah, I'm all for it. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how this game would work as a shooter. Right, right. Like, I mean, you can imagine doing those uh, Simon Says QTEs with a Oof. with a shooting sequence. <laughs> yeah, just stop. <laughs> Please don't make the sequel. <laughs> well. Oh, well. Well, thanks a lot, Steven. I really appreciate uh, you joining me along for this playthrough. I know it's a game that you've already played, but it was one that that I was very much interested in playing and had heard a lot about. So I appreciate you hanging in there with me. No, and, I was uh, uh, I was all my for lone compadre. I, for I was this, all uh, I was all for revisiting this one. So <laughs> right. I had no no problems with that. All right. Well, next month I will be back on the retro side, and I'm sure that Floyd and uh, Sean are telling you what game that we'll be playing for that in October. But, uh, Stephen, I'm going to leave it up to you to tell everyone a little bit about what we'll be playing on the modern side in October. Yeah, so we're playing uh, Resident Evil, which is um, sort of the first game that dubbed the whole survival horror uh, tag that kind of wasn't necessarily the first game in the genre sure. but it sort of invented the term and you know as Resident Evil is a game where you explore a creepy mansion and you there's you know uh, all these sort of biological creatures zombies and mutated uh, you know forms of other creatures and it it's, focuses a lot on resource management, so you have to be careful with your ammo and your healing supplies, and even mm-hmm. the uh, the ink ribbons that you have to use to save the game are limited. So if you run out of those, you're <laughs> you just can't save anymore. But uh, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. uh, Resident Evil has always been a personal favorite of mine, so I'm uh, I'm real excited about revisiting it as a community playthrough. Yeah, yep, yeah. and and a lot of you may be thinking, well, why is this not on the retro side? Um, yeah. Because yeah. I'm specifically wanting to play the remake version, which right. originally came out on the GameCube, and mm-hmm. it's had a recent re-release um, on modern systems um, with an, an HD remaster, which I'm actually having playing. I started up a few days ago playing on the uh, PS4, and really enjoying it so far. So hope we uh, get get at least a decent turnout for that one. Yeah, it should be very popular title. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, to our listeners, join us next month as we discuss Resident Evil on the modern side. Thanks a lot.
So that'll do it for another episode of The Playcast. Thank you for listening, and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs. Remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs, discuss the games we play, or leave feedback about this podcast. Join us next month in our playthroughs for October 2015, when we will continue our tradition of playing spooky-themed titles on both the retro and modern sides of the playthroughs. Rich will host Castlevania Bloodlines, the only Castlevania title to ever grace the Sega Genesis or even the Mega Drive. On the modern side, Steven is serving up Jill sandwiches with the remake of Resident Evil for the GameCube, with ports available on the Wii and an HD remaster available on 7th and 8th generation consoles and the PC. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. Thank <laughs> you.